Hello and welcome back to the MotoGP Extra podcast. I'm Reese, and joining me as usual to discuss the events of the, this weekend's GP is my co-host Dill. Now of course Misano, basically the second Italian Grand Prix, always a bit of a wild one, not even just from a racing standpoint but just from the fans and the atmosphere is always a fantastic one and with it being so exciting and crazy, Moto3 has got to be the place to start so we'll get straight into Moto3 and really the start of the race started with Jamma Masia. Obviously he's trying to rebuild his championship hopes. Of course he, they've took a bit of a hit in some of the previous rounds but Catalonia was a good bounce back for him and he's trying to keep that form going and he was trying to pull away from the front. So I'll pass it over to you Dill. What did you make to Masia's start to the race? It was exactly what can happen to Azano. It's obviously compared to the previous round just not as flowing. There's a couple of straights. A lot of people probably think that the Tremonto down to Caro is just flat out and it's easy. It still takes quite a bit of skill to even go flat through there on a Model 3 bike. So even though you have a lot of slipstream down there, it's not as like a Magello where it's just slipstream pass, slipstream pass because there's still corners effectively. So it isn't one of the tracks where you get massive groups usually. Messia got to the front and in fairness, I think about 1.5, 1.6 I got up to until Anchu got to second. And I think Anchu then just had a bit more especially when he had clear track and i think they all kind of knew in the top five that they go right if messiah pulls away we're, we're kind of battling for second if we just kind of work together somewhat we can catch him and it kept the race interesting because when i went above a second i was like oh we could be watching a an older school model three race where there's a breakaway winner we haven't had one in recent times over the last couple of races so it was a good attempt from Messiah, and he used his brain when he was being caught. He kind of just rolled out, goes right. I'm in a different type of race now. I need to save a bit of rubber for the last couple of laps, but this has failed. But yeah, it was a good attempt from him, and I think he learned from his mistakes and slivers on not to go above and beyond trying to pull. He was just trying to maybe go 98% instead of just going all out attack because he threw away a good set of points that sort of saw him into a little mistake doing pretty much the same thing. So it's clear that he is kind of learning from his mistakes, which is one that probably Messiah's biggest traits that he's not learned from his mistakes over the previous four or five seasons in the class so again each week we kind of talk about who he's improving and today was another one of those facts you could just see when it got under a second the clap just collapsed because he was like okay they're there now there's no point me trying to stress my tire too much to get away and he had a great race overall and again very smart from him which is uh, probably why he's doing so well on the Honda compared to the others and the only one up there really. Yeah, you make a good point talking about how he sort of learnt from his mistake from Silverstone because, of course, it was another track where the Honda was working quite well because the Honda wasn't actually too bad at Misano, seemingly. We had Kaito Toba on the front row somehow. I don't know, if you saw that one come in, you must have a crystal ball because Toba's kind of in the doldrums for years. So it was, uh, it was good to see him back near the front, but it was definitely a bit of a surprise. But yeah, it's good that Messias learnt from his mistake because, like you say, he got reeled in a little bit at Silverstone, tried to push harder, ended up going down. On this occasion, he tried to make the break because, like you say, again, we've seen this happen at Masano before. I think Fanati did it a few years ago. It is something that you can do at Masano because it's not got... It's got straights, of course, but they're not massive. There's not, like, loads of massive straights together. Like, there is a bit of a break, and with those fast right-handers, it does take so much skill to carry the speed through there. You actually can... The rider can make a difference, and I think that's when you see these races where a few pulled away because even though, obviously, Messiah failed to pull away... It did still break the group up a bit because, of course, it started off with a bit of a group of eight, but then it did sort of close down to the top four. Messia, Onchu, David Alonso and David Munoz. So 
I definitely felt for Basir a little bit during that race. I would not want those three guys behind me. I don't know about you, but <laughs> they are they're, they're known for their aggression. Alonso, not too bad. He's usually pretty clean with it. But Onchu and uh, Munoz definitely uh, have a bit of a habit of uh, perhaps knocking off the other riders. But that's how it sort of uh, kicked off into the second half of the race. And to be fair, I was pretty impressed with them. I don't know about you, but they, they actually did keep it pretty clean. Sat behind for Messiah for a while, but then... They did start to scrap it out a little bit, but again, it was was all fair racing. Yeah, to be honest, it was, it was like really, Messiah was me and I was racing three of you. It was just that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in fairness, they had their sensible hats on today, all four of them really, and it was a clean race. Obviously, we had drama in last race in Catalonia where on the last half lap, two people crashed and there was, there was penalties and all sorts of shenanigans. So I think they were all probably thinking, I think they all knew as well at the front, that they were like, well, Algado's not been all all weekend. We can't really afford to take each other out here. It's like, we'll all. There's probably a bit of the mentality is like, us finishing first to fourth, regardless of which which one of us finishes weird, is better for all of our championships than taking five points off you and five points off me or whatever. So, I think they were all quite mature. Um, it was a a nice group of four. Again, I think it was Haji made the, the remark of that poor Messiah up against the three of them. It, it would be like three Marcuses yeah. or Valentinos where they're just killers around you. So for him to get out such a good result out of it was brilliant. But they were they were pretty pretty good. And I think, again, like you said, when Messiah went to run away, the three that went with him really split the race up. And then we had kind of a group of four and a group of four and then back to the kind of top 15. So it was a it was spread out race really for Motor 3. But it was a... A tactical race and I think it was one of the cleaner races I remember and uh, to be fair the last lap and the last corner I do remember coming into uh, Carol on the last lap from the helicopter shot and just the shapes Messiah was putting yeah. was immense I, I was convinced he was going to crash me too me and too. Uh, it was it was just some some serious bike control but yeah the four of them were clean and uh, it was a not Alonso the other one Munyat had a huge yeah, moment in turn that. two and that was just his race over. Still I think. don't know how he that. <laughs> exactly, to be fair, the fact... Because you could see he just, just lost touch with them. And I think he's one of those riders. He's great in the battle. He's probably not your natural-born natural leader kind of rider. He's probably better when he's in the pack and he's using other people as breaking markers and, and that kind of style of race. So when he did lose the second or so from the incident in turn two, that was kind of his race on. And, and the battle for the podium was just the three boys. And that was pretty cool down to the last corner. Yeah, it's always good to see those last lap battles at Masano. We've had plenty over the years in the different classes, so it is good. It, it just provides, it's got so many different kinds of corners that it does really provide that. You've got like the fast, tightening right-handers, so if you are a bit of a corner speed guy, you can. it's difficult to actually pull a pass in the right-handers themselves, but you can get close enough to send it into Caro, obviously the turn 14, and then you've you've got, obviously, Rio is another good dive-bombing opportunity. You've got the flip-flop at the start of the lap, there is plenty of, even though it's actually known as a bit of a track that's difficult to pull a pass on, on a last lap, there's a few places where you can kind of send it a little bit and hope for the best. Quirtra so, and Tremonto as well, like, so yeah. there's plenty of places. Yeah, yeah, Quirtra and Tremonto, of course, yes. So, even though it's difficult to pull the pass on the last lap, when you go in that last little bit, it does give you some good battling, and it was it was all good and fair. I'm, I'm with you, I don't know how Messiah stayed on, I definitely thought it was going down there, because he tried to, he probably tried the double pass, didn't he, and to be fair, I've been very impressed with him, just the, the way he's been going about it. That's two races in a row he's trying to double pass right at the end of the race. So uh, he's, uh, he's certainly trying. And to be fair, again, you did make mention earlier about the Hondas that he is the only Honda anywhere in the front. So 
Um, he's also clearly riding above his machinery, which is uh, even more impressive when you take that into account. But speaking of impressive, David Alonso. He has turned into, an, well, I mean, he's always been a fantastic rider, of course, but he's found his form and he has just become the, the expert, the master of the last lap. Aggressive, clean. He sits there in the group. He's got the pace. Even when perhaps on a Friday, it doesn't look like he's going to be the fastest guy. He's always there come the last lap on Sunday. And once again, the benefactor. He puts himself in the right position, ends up making the great pass, takes another win, I just can't believe his second half of the season. Ever since that summer break, he's obviously hit a bit of a reset. Not that he was doing badly before, let's uh, be real, but he wasn't you know, fighting for the win every week, week in, at, week in, week out. But now, just ever since Silverstone, turns up there, didn't know the track, wins it. Obviously had a bit of a blip at Austria, but again, he was actually leading the race when he fell out of that position. Catalonia obviously wins it. Another win then now here at Masano. And I believe he's now sort of in contention of the championship. So I don't have enough words to say about this kid, but I don't know if you have the points to hand. But I know he's he's not that far off now with uh, another weekend that wasn't great for Holgado. He has 21 points. So five riders separated by 21 oh, points. He he's only 21 points back. That's unreal. That's, he actually that's could doable, win it. <laughs> yeah, he could. He's, For example, he's four points behind... On to nine behind Messia. Yeah. Sasaki is the one who's in P2. He's only four points behind Targado. And he's the one that kind of surprised me, really, because he's he's not really done much, really. He's, he's had, he's he's had, had, had a, a good run of uh, podiums, I think, for for a while. I think that's kind of forgotten. Like, he had the rough start. He had the couple of crashes, and, like, obviously, in uh, Kota. I have his results here, and he was second from Le Mans up until second at or third in Austria. Yeah. And uh I suppose you forget so yeah, like Saxon Ring as well. He led most of that race to launch you mugged in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I suppose coming second third for five, six rounds in Moto three is is kind of enough to kind of get you there. That is when the the champion, that's how you win that championship. Yeah. Yeah. Hargado's just dropped the ball since the summer break. Kind of before obviously we had the poor round in uh the Netherlands crashing there two podiums and then again crashing out last week so it's a that's two big holes there for him and again no points to them right in saying finished p16 yeah so i, I don't know what was wrong with him because he was in the league group to begin with but then he he just seemed to just to fade i don't know whether he had a bike problem or, or whether he was just struggling but he was up there to start with but then just he just i just slowly saw his name drop down during the race yeah he was around p14 and then somehow in the last like two laps ended up out of the points but Back to Alonso, absolutely amazing. Uh, what he's doing for South America, getting him back on the map. We haven't had, I think, Yanni Hernandez, the last Colombian I can think of, probably one of the only ones. Um, yeah, he's there's not been one, many. He's not there's not been many from South America make it, and does not. I can definitely say there's not been a, a South American in recent times who've had such promise. We've had Marrera, but he's he's kind of gone cold. He had a couple of races, but he was never this sort of racing from him. He was kind of a rookie in the top six, top eight, and he was doing well and putting in good laps and qualifying, but he wasn't winning three out of four races, kind of and leading the other one. Like so. Yeah. Could be uh, a question Alonso, mark over his team, in fairness. It's not it's a very young team. Could be. Could whereas be. obviously yeah. also an Aspar, know how to win. So that's Aspar, you're probably your your factory team in more three yeah. D says. But I just don't know what to say about Alonso. He's just been so good. And I feel like he's going to continue this form. I feel like he's like, um, uh, he's just, he, he just seems to have so much about him when he gets to the last couple of laps. He just always seems to be in the right place. 
he took the overtake on was it Messia into Tremonto. The yep. Messia went for the double overtake. Then he undercuts on boats and gets them to the line. It was it was just he can just see three corners in front of him in a way that he goes right. If I pass him here, I'll get to run through Caro or through Carvone. If I don't get him into Caro, I can try it into Mizano corner. He's just he has a lot of probably. He's a very good racing brain, I suppose, as well as the fact he's outrageously quick. So there's just so much going on there. He's so much talent, and he's a joy to watch because he's uh, definitely keeping it interesting. The fact he's only 21 points off now. The only only question I put to him is, we're going to what we call the flyaway race now, where you get mixed weather, and as well as if you're in the title hunt, there's a sort of pressure that comes when you're being named each week as he has a chance of winning it. The last, up until today, really, nobody's even thought about his championship. It's just been, oh, this rookie's doing amazing. He's won another race. Great job. Great racecraft, whatever. But now the fact he's going into the last seven rounds, eight rounds, and, oh, well, maybe he could win the championship. Oh, he has to perform today. Oh, he's only P9 in the grid. That's not very good for someone who wants to win this championship. So a lot of things can change in terms of the, the media outlook on you. So I just hope that he keeps keeps his focus on track and not kind of what's been going on off track with oh he's definitely in the championship hunt now oh surely he's the man with the form he could he's been quicker than Sasaki and surely he'll he'll beat Elgato in a you would imagine a better team so I'll just hope that overall he keeps his form going and it, it isn't something like Arbelino where all the off track stuff just seems to take away a couple of percent of his racing and we see a kind of a lull so again hats off to him he's been amazing today so I can only only credit his racing it was brilliant great watch yeah, he really is just fantastic. There's there's not much more you can say about him. He is amazing, but you actually do make a good point there about the flyaways. That probably will be something we do dwell on when we're talking about some of these championships. That Of course, the next round's India, uh, which I think we are going to talk about in a little bit, but uh, provided there is a race there, that's a new track no one's ever been to before, so we don't know what the form book will be like there. Of course, then you've got Mategi, you've got Thailand, you've got Indonesia. Don't know, I think it's Indonesia, then Thailand, actually, but you got all these flyaways. These obviously will be completely new races to Alonso. Not that he's probably that bothered because he did win at Silverstone, which he'd never been to before, but these are the kind of tracks where, where it's going to help someone like Messia or Suzaki, even over Holgado, because Holgado has been there previously, but not as many times. Whereas, you know, you've got your, your Messias and your Suzakis, they've been in the championship for years knocking around. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely... Hopefully the pressure doesn't get to him too much and hopefully he doesn't um, sort of crumble in the... Uh, the flyaways with the new circuits. But if it does, he's had a great rookie season, I'm sure he'll be able to hit a reset for next season. Now, we have got the notes here about Messiah, but I think we probably spoke about him a decent bit before when we were on about him pulling away. So uh, he sort of put his championship back on. So I'll move on to uh, Onchu. Obviously, the other guy really in the, the the league group that we haven't spoke about too much so far. He seems to have a bit of a knack for getting to the front of the chasers and be able to hunt down the guy in the lead. Obviously, he did it at a Saxon ring to fantastic effect with Suzaki. And once again today, he sort of got to the front. We know Onchu, he's known for hitting his seat, you know, sort of just trying to get other people to follow him. It never really works, but in fairness, he got to the lead of the chasers and he hunted down Messiah. Now, of course, I think Messiah probably did start to back off once he realised he was being caught, obviously to make sure he didn't overstress his tyres and crash or anything like that. But it was a great ride from Onchu. And then he was kind of sat there you do feel for him because he clearly does lose time on the straights. Now, I suppose his size does give an advantage in some other elements like the chicanes and things like that. But you do you do feel sorry for him because he, it does, uh, he definitely loses time in places. He lost a lot of time. Obviously, then the run through the right-handers on the last lap. But he did then make a little mistake 
and run wide so it was a uh, Definitely a shame for him, but it's still a good ride, still on the podium, and of course, like we've said, now properly in contention for the championship himself. Yeah, and in fact, he's in the championship as a mystery, really, because throughout the season, we probably said, oh my god, another silly race, another stupid mistake from, from Manchu. But of late, again, probably around the time of the summer break, he's come back, he's been pretty consistent. Take Catalonia's last was... quarter out of it. and yeah oh yeah we'll, we'll just glance over that we'll forget about that he was consistent for the whole race bar the last corner we'll yeah. put it like that um, it's not a bad all season uh, really but yeah again i go back to Argentina he still had that was yeah, bone that, that there, was, that was ridiculous he'd be leading the championship if he didn't do that put it that way <laughs> well that is true that is very true if you put it in black and white like it's uh, it's just he had them mistakes in him and up until Saxoning Saxoning has completely changed his whole demeanour the class he's more confident he seems like he he seems more relaxed in races where he doesn't feel, oh my god, I have to be, I have to really push so hard so I can give myself every opportunity. Kind of like we said every week with Canada, who we'll come to later. Um, just we feel like that when a rider's building and building and feels like he needs to get it off his chest and get that kind of monkey off his back. He's gotten it done now, and he just seems more relaxed and he seems cooler in the last couple of laps. Now he's still on to, he's still crazy, but he doesn't. You don't feel like that. He's gonna. He he understands the last couple of laps is what I'm trying to say. Really, he he's more accustomed to know. Right, if I'm P four in the last lap, I can still win it. I don't need to take all three riders into turn one. I I can do it throughout the lap. Like, and I think up until when he won in Saxony, there was just you get the last four laps and he had a chance and he just go right qualifying lap. I'm gonna punt everyone off the track. I'm gonna break as late as I can, and he just would kind of end up getting beaten by someone like Holgado or Sasaki or whatever. Someone a bit would a uh, bit cooler in the last couple of laps and a bit more racecraft but he's been unlucky this season again I feel like a lot of times if we go back to Mangello his height really played against him there he was really quick there I think his height plays more of a disadvantage and advantage I know heavy braking kind of the, the air brake of being slightly bigger being able to muscle it around a bit more um, but I just feel like he loses so much time in the straights I'm actually looking forward to him leaving the class I want to see him on a bigger bike because I, I reckon his whole style doesn't really suit him all the three. He drifts it a lot, and that's not really a Model 3 style. It's never been a, a class where you want to be sideways. It's kind of a wheels in line to the most point. So seeing him on a Model 2 bike will be fairly interesting, and I think he'll gel with that pretty quickly. So again, once he keeps performing throughout the season, he is probably out of the top four. He's top five. Um, he's probably my least likely to win the championship at the moment. I just think that they will get to tracks like... Like I could see him getting out dragged in Thailand to the last corner because of his height. I could see him having issues in Phillip Island out of the last corner. I just think of most tracks ago, right? Well, he's probably going to get dragged to the final corner. It's a pang, and he'll probably lose it there. Unless he can have runaway races, it's going to be hard for him to win races. So, again, if you look at his sack string, it was a, a lunge into the final corner, a block pass, and just about won that one. So, it's going to be tough for him to win races, and I think. With like Alonso winning currently at the moment, Tolgado, if he kind of gets back to the front, it seems very good at getting to the right positions at the right time. I think Sasaki is very quick. I just think he struggles a bit more in the last few laps sometimes. So at the moment, Anshu isn't my man for the title, but he's having a good season, like you mentioned. Again, got the win off his back, got his motor two seat. So all is going his way, really. Yeah, I think uh, you're probably right with that one. It's going to probably be difficult for Anshu to win the championship. I believe he actually did do a test uh, for Moto2. I think when they were testing 
Uh, like sort of last week they were doing the Pirelli test. I think he did get a, get to have a bit of a go on the Moto2 bike, and I think he seemed to enjoy it. I believe I heard the commentator say that, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. I did see a picture of him sitting on his bike, what he rode, and I don't know. Yeah, but he must have rode it then, I guess. But uh, Yeah, you'd imagine so. I, I would imagine he's probably being fitted up to, uh, to one of those IO seats for next season in uh, the Moto2 class. Um, I, I yeah, thought, I imagine so. Uh, since uh, it sounds like there's going to be two free seats there, so I'd imagine that at least one of them will go to him. But from one Red Bull rider to another, Holgado, the championship leader. So again, we have touched on him a little bit, but I suppose we'll talk about him in a bit more detail. He's just, he seems to be sort of choking a little bit. He's definitely struggling these last few rounds. Obviously, he's been pretty great. He's been, he's, he's not exactly been a win hound all season. Obviously, he won the first round at Portimao, but then he's kind of been there or thereabouts top five podiums throughout the season until we got to Assen. Obviously, had the blip there. Was okay at Silverstone. But then he's kind of, and obviously Austria, I think he got on the podium again there. But the last couple of rounds, he's kind of just started to struggle. Obviously, he didn't have a great weekend at Catalonia, was struggling, ended up crashing, which was, you know, a bit of a silly thing to do, cost himself a lot of points because, all right, maybe he wasn't on it, but he probably would have still finished like eighth or something like that. And you never know with all the carnage that happened at the last corner with the Onchu and like Munyati probably could have got maybe in the top five, potentially with the once of, you know, the, uh, the penalty had been applied. So. He threw away a decent amount of points there. And then this weekend, he was just slow. He just dropped back. So, like I said, I don't know if he had a problem. But it seems to me like maybe the the pressure of the championship fight is getting onto him. We, we do know that there's not going to be any kind of wrangling for seats in the in the background because he's already said he's actually going to stay in Moto3 next year regardless of what happens with the Tech3 team. So, it's not got any that kind of thing overshadowing him so it just seems to me like he's just struggling with uh, the fact that perhaps he's being sort of caught in the championship and the pressure's just on him a bit more now yeah like he was top six every race up until Saxoning then we go with Assen and crashes and I think what happens there is he crashes in the last race before the summer break and he probably it, that's probably the worst thing that can, obviously is the worst thing that can happen going into a summer break but it looks like he hasn't really reset from that he didn't take the five weeks ago right I've been first, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever, in the first few rounds, and I have a nice points advantage. I'm probably the most consistent. I'm in a decent team. He's probably thought, oh, my God, I threw away X amount of points that week. What if that comes against me? What about the flyer? It looks like he's just gotten in his own head about the crashes. And then, to be fair, came back in Silverstone, podium, Austria podium. Looked like everything was going well. And then crashes last week out of his home race when he, again, just looked like he was, wasn't at the races. And I wonder... Is he kind of thinking, well, I overrode last week in Spain and crashed. Maybe this week could just take a step forward or take a step back to go forward and it's just not worked for him. And I think it just isn't clicking at the moment. It's kind of showing a bit like uh, Arbelino Moto 2 where just slightly gone downhill and he just doesn't look like he has the control to bring it back. Now we're going to India next week or two weeks time. So that will probably be a plain empty field for everyone that it'll just be a reset. So if he's good result there, we're going then to the, into the immediate flyovers that were used to the Japan, the Indonesia, uh, the island. So the next couple of rounds are crucial for his championship that he builds back up some sort of stability and gets good points back on the board. If he loses the championship in the flyovers, I could see it being done. Um, realistically, anything can happen in the flyovers. We are well aware that we could have monsoons in Indonesia. We've seen before. Sepang, the humidity anything can happen there Phillip Island is one of those tracks where if you're not at it you're, you're 20th it's just one of those tracks so 
We're going into a critical part of the season now and he's just having a dip that he didn't need. Now, he's in a good team. He's one of the quickest riders in the class. We raved about him all season. I just think he needs a bit of a reset. I think having a weekend off now just to go to India, get set and go again. And hopefully if he gets a good result there, that could just kickstart his flyaways and then he might be able to kind of rally himself back into this championship because at the moment it's just slipping. He had a decent points advantage pretty much up until... Up until Aston, we were kind of like probably one hand on the championship. We felt it was a bit like uh, Moto 2 with Acosta, where I was like, yeah, this this is kind of done. Like, realistically, he's, he's probably going to maybe just wrap it up with two two or three rounds to go if he, he keeps going the way he was. But it just shows bike racing is uh, is not as simple as is on paper. Everything happens at all times, can change it. And one crash in Aston may be the cause of the whole last few rounds. Um, I think he definitely just needs to reset. I think he's probably putting himself under a bit of pressure second season in the class. We do forget that he is he's he's not a Sasaki who's been there a while, Messia, Anshu, the other kind of three out of the five he's battling have definitely a lot more experience of holding a championship and understanding the whole season. So he can he can do it, but it's gonna to be tough because he's going into races now where he doesn't have as much experience as the other three I mentioned and obviously Alonso's on such a wave of form. It's going to be tough, but if he digs deep, it'll show great character if he can come back and claim this championship after a bad month or so, really. Yeah, it certainly would. If he can bounce back, that really is the, the making of a rider if they can sort of come back from the bad times. But like you said, of course, he is battling sort of another four riders. The top five are all covered by 21 points. I think it is going to be one of those great Moto3 seasons because the last couple of seasons, it's kind of been a bit done or just been between a couple of riders at this point, but... Five of them still covered by 21 points as we go into the flyaways now. To be fair, the flyaways are a lot longer than they used to be. There's a, there's a few more in there. Obviously, we've got Qatar as well that's been moved to that point of the season. So there is actually still more races left than you'd think. But even still, I think we could be prepped for a fantastic championship between quite a few different riders. But as we move from one championship that is pretty close to another one that seemed to take a bit of a turning point once again today... Moto2, we'll start off talking about Aaron Cannon, of course, not a championship contender, but you did sort of make reference earlier talking about Cannon when you were on about Moto3 and riders making mistakes and when they're a bit, a bit desperate for the wins, a bit like how Onshu was before he got his first victory. Cannon running in third place. Again, probably not a chance of winning today, to be fair, based on how good Acosta was. But again, running in top position, probably trying a little bit too hard. Down he goes. That's another load of points down the drain. Not that, again, he was a championship contender, but even still, not a great way to end his race and off the back of just missing out for that win in Catalonia as well. Yeah, it's it's a shame because he was a touch wide. He was just a touch wide and that was all it took, really. I felt like he was just hanging out. I felt Acosta was comfortable for the whole, the whole race. I don't think ending Vietti had really... We saw Vietti nearly crashed four times, I believe. He yeah, had four he had big saves, which is... Saves. Usually, if you have one, you're lucky. He had four just to try and stick with him. Even with, like, two laps to go, he nearly crashed. So, Vietti was at 110% home Italian support. Everything was pushing Vietti on in this race, and even still, he couldn't really match Acosta. He kept him honest for a good chunk of the race and kept him hot under the collar for most of the race, but last quarter of the race, really, that was done. With Kenneth, like I'm looking at his championship results here now, he's so inconsistent. Now, it's only his fourth non-score, 
which isn't actually as bad as I thought really, but does a lot of races where he's just gone missing, which is the issue with his season. And I think he has a good race weekend, then goes missing, goes missing, goes missing, and then comes back and he's like, oh, I'm on it this weekend. I have to try that extra heart and then ends up crashing. So it will come from um, next year. Looks like Acosta will be gone. Arbelino will be still there. The chances of him winning then goes up, uh, moving to the uh, Fantic team. Obviously, we've seen their proven race winner this season with Vietti. So maybe, maybe next year. I think he's another one that just needs to kind of needs to relax when he gets in the position I think he's better off taking P3 P4 P2 whatever it may be instead of crashing out crashing is the worst thing he can do it'll only knock his confidence more and make him choke and struggle and, and tense up in these moments where he might have the pace to win these races I think Dixon is a great um, advocate of I only have pace with third today that's what I'll do I think he had a bit of the Dick Cannot where oh my god this weekend I've qualified fourth and well I kind of have Acosta's pace and I can match X, Y, and Z, and then four laps in his bin, and you're like, oh, well, there's kind of no need to that. You had a good chance at the podium today. I think Canet just needs to put, just put podiums on the board, build up a good good rhythm, run a form, and then maybe when the chance comes, he won't be as so trigger-happy, and then maybe it might happen. Now, again, I think he's going to need a bit of luck because i never seen him put a race weekend together where I think, oh, he's definitely going to win. He's, he's always thereabouts most weeks. Obviously, he has his weekends where either injury or just the bike doesn't work for him or he just isn't at the races but that happens at every rider on Motor 2 Motor 2 is one of those classes so tight equal equipment throughout the field so yeah it's just a small mistake today that cost him a podium but I'm sure he'd, uh, he'll know that already by the time he pick up the bike yeah I think you make a good point there that you are going to have these weaker weekends I mean look at last race race winner where was he today he was what, battling with Bo Ben Schneider for like P13 like the whole race Obviously, I know the circumstances around that with his qualifying, but just shows you only need to make a mistake. Because let's be honest, right? If Acosta um, started 14th, he's not finishing 14th. He's he's going to fight fight his way through. So it does show that you have these sort of off weekends sometimes. And I think with Canet, you're probably right. He does need to just sit there and take stock. As I always say, you're going to be second place so many times until the leader crashes. And if you've already fell off, that's no good, is it? So... You need to be running in these podium positions. You know, if he was running, you know, if he didn't have the pace to go with those guys, why not try and settle for third? I mean, maybe at the end of the race, their tire might go off. You might catch them up a little bit. You don't know how hard they're pushing. You may as well just make sure that you put yourself in the best position. And that is staying on the bike at the end of the day and not doing silly things like Catalonia. He did look really desperate for that first win. And we've seen that in other races as well. And it just seems like whenever he thinks he has the chance for a good good results he, he crashes now i think that's always been a bit of a canic trait even in moto 3 from, from what i remember of his moto 3 career so yeah it's going to be difficult and maybe you know maybe the ponds team is winding down a little bit we do not leave at the end of the season so perhaps maybe there is an element of behind the scenes stuff but yeah just just another mistake and you don't win races by crashing out of them so that's uh, obviously the main thing he does need to address but a rider that did pretty well today, Manuel Gonzalez. Uh, I'm quite a big fan of him. I do. Uh, I'm quite impressed with him generally. He's uh, he's had quite a few fifth places, I believe. I think he's had about like three or four this season, and he was pretty good today. Seven. Yeah, he was, he was. He was pretty good. His pace, you know, kind of faded a little bit towards the end. But again, on the front row, building obviously on the great result he. Well, again, the great race he had in Catalonia. 
does seem like you say he finished seventh. It, I couldn't remember exactly where he slipped to. I know he slipped back a little bit. It was a similar kind of thing. I guess he probably finished about seventh in Catalonia as well. Seems to be that he he's kind of slipping back as the races go on. So perhaps struggling with looking after the tire, but the pace is clearly there. His start wasn't great today. It did obviously cost him quite a bit. Well, actually, his start wasn't too bad. It was more once they got to turn one, he kind of got a bit squeezed and dropped back. But again, um, I'm quite impressed by him because he's he is showing good pace. It obviously put it on the front row. We have said there's question marks over the team. Obviously, it is, it is Yamaha funded. Uh, it's VR46 associated. So I would assume there's enough pre-funding there. But in terms of the actual quality of the team i believe it's like it's sort of like the extra petrodas team i think they sort of just bought that entry and all the equipment and probably most of the staff and that was that was an okay team but remember sort of when we had like dixon and vierge they kind of did go missing quite a lot so definitely probably some question marks over the uh the team itself but i think he's done a pretty good job obviously destroying his teammate nazani who's having a very rough time and i think i'd like to see manuel maybe in a different team see how he gets on a bit more of a proven one, a bit like you might be the SURIO. I know there's probably not necessarily a spot for that, but if he was in another team like that, I'd, I'd be interested to see how he gets on because he, he has these performances now and again. Like I said, he's had fifth place quite a few times, but quiet weekends. But putting it on the front row, running pretty well. Obviously, yeah, it's not quite worked out for him, but I think uh, he's definitely he's building. And as a rider that's come the hard way as well, he's not exactly come through motor three. So similar to how we've seen with a lot of British riders in the past that come from superbike backgrounds, it, it takes a while to, to adapt to these bikes, adapt to this paddock and, and the different tracks and stuff. So uh, they always do need a little bit more time. But so far, I think he's been doing a pretty good job, these, uh, especially this season anyway. Yeah, it, he definitely has speed. I just don't think he has the, like I mentioned, the team probably isn't a Premier Class team. I just think... Just in terms of the fact he does seem to use more tyre, just don't think the bike is as set up as probably ideal for him as it could be. Um, most weeks he shows pace throughout the race, just seems to go backwards. So I think there's a bit of a rider, um, I suppose the rider probably needs to just mature a small bit and just learn this this class. You can't really push early. Like, like if you look back to his Catalonia, he took the lead. Dixon was just so cool. About it. He just goes, yeah, take it. I know that this is my pace. I know how long... I can take this, these tyres and how far and it just looked like um, Gonzalez just was like right I'll go to the front and I'll see what I can do and when my tyres go I'll fall back and we'll just hope that I don't fall too back too far really and I think again today had the speed but just as the race goes on the tyre just doesn't stay with him as much so I wonder is that more riders or more team but either way I think maybe together they can come to a better solution but yeah you do say that it would be nice to see him in a better team I look at Arenas going to Mark VDS and I wonder wouldn't they be better take a punt on a younger rider like that? They could kind of mould with better. News to me. He's clearly, he's what? Uh, Reynas to Mark VDS. That's news to me. I'm fairly sure that's where he's going. It's Salach. Salach is going to Mark VDS. Where's Reynas going? Home. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I Fantic. I think where it was linked to one point. I don't think he's going to Mark VDS. Another though. another person is. Yeah, Fantic we, I think we had this joke before that like half the paddock signs are Fantic. I don't know where Reynas is going, um, but it's definitely not. Mark I was VDS. convinced he was going to Mark VDS because uh, Arbelino was staying and Salach got. Yeah, in Well, so. that is news to me. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to quit. Just surprise no, me. No, no, like, I've not heard this one. Right. <laughs> Uh, I'll I was just if I was I convinced maybe he was find, going. find where Aranas is going. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm convinced he was going there, so he must have some contract. Yeah, he, he probably That's has something. True. Yeah, 
This is strange. Anyway, that kind of ruins my point of that why we decided Ryan is over Gonzalez. <laughs> but anyway, Gonzalez is definitely deserving of a better seat is the bottom line of that kind of whole jumbled portion there. But at the moment, I just feel his own race craft and just managing a race isn't there. And I think if you look at Remy Gardner, when he went to Io, turned into a different rider, I think Gonzalez has the potential if he gets into a better team. Just runs off some of the edges. He could be a front runner, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear where he is going to go if he does leave. I'm not too sure if he'll stay with that team because I just feel they are not up to his level as a rider. I just think he's been held back maybe a touch. I think he said he's quite happy to stay. I think that's his aim. Of course, you're going to say that. You're obviously not going to say, "Yeah, I'm really looking to yeah. leave this team." But he's he's kind of said that. I, I don't see where he's going to go. Um, I can't find anything about where Renas is going, by the way, but it was just from a quick Google search, so not too sure. But yeah, I think most of those sort of top seats are kind of... Uh, obviously, there are, Io is the, the question mark because there's been a few riders obviously sort of linked to that. We had Vietti was supposedly going there at one point. That could be Solana. I think Agora's been linked there. Obviously, Onchu as well from Moto3. So I think that's those are the two seats, really, that everybody wants uh, I I don't know if the, there might be a couple of seats going into GP. I know they've probably not been that great this year, but in the past they've been a pretty solid team. So yeah, there they could be some spots up for grabs. I don't know exactly how the how the grid's going to shake out. Obviously, we've got the new MT Helmets team coming in, and obviously there's a couple of spots maybe there. Again, obviously they, they are still quite a young team. Obviously, it will be basically probably the Pons team, but in new colours effectively, which is a pretty decent team again. So yeah, he could potentially go there. It, there is a lot of sort of question marks over the Moto Two rider lineup. Maybe that's a podcast for itself at some point. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I, I, it seems like we're in agreement that we'd like to see Gonzalez in a different team, potentially one that's a little bit better. Not just obviously, you know, we're not slighting that team at all. The team that he is with, but there are obviously it's it's not the the A team. Like you're not gonna go there and expect to win the championship, for example. It's one of those kind of teams, and yeah, so. Uh, it would be interesting to see him in a different one. But uh, moving on to one of those bikes that potentially is available, the IO bike, uh, Pedro Acosta, looks pretty set for this World Championship now. Of course, we know he's going up to MotoGP next season, but what a weekend he had. Uh, enemy territory as well, of course. Main rival, Arbolino, pretty much another home Grand Prix for him with it being in Misano, which is you know, technically Italy, really. Just looked amazing from fb1 didn't he it was just fantastic he did have like half a second on like the whole field in one of the practice sessions it was something ridiculous like that he was miles ahead didn't end up on pole position but i think he did set the fastest lap of the session i think he just got cancelled because of yellow flags but still second place on the grid which you know is more than adequate took the lead off the start didn't look back he looked comfortable all race like you said obviously we, we were talking earlier that it was a lot of moments from vietti uh, Acosta didn't have any of those. He looked super smooth. Obviously, Canet fell off trying to chase him down. Vietti had a lot of moments. I think in the end, he did just kind of think best of it and back off a bit. And in the end, Acosta won by five seconds, which is just just unbelievable to to do that in Moto Two, the like the hard one of the hardest classes. Like, you know, arguably the hardest class because everybody's pretty much on the same machinery. So it comes down so much to those fine tuning bits of setup, and then obviously just so much down to the rider. So to pull five seconds on that field, especially again when you're talking about he's pulling away from Vietti, who spends every every other weekend riding around the circuit, he knows it better than anybody. So 
it just just phenomenal. Uh, pulling away more points, of course. Obviously, our main rival, Arbolino, who had a much better weekend, but even still pulled a decent a few points away from him. At least like sort of 10, 12. I don't know exactly the points gap between first and fourth, but it's something like that. Obviously, a lot of points on Jake Dixon as well. Obviously, having a bad weekend. So, just just perfect for Acosta. I don't really have any other words. It's just showing why this is going to be his world championship, basically. He has the... First off, he has 34 points over Arlena on second. Yeah, which is pretty and big. Considering that he was 25 down at one point, so... Exactly. So the swing, yeah. really, like has been has been crazy, considering how, how consistent Arlena was at the start of the season. And over the last couple of rounds, he's gone a bit astray, but he's, he's not been... Like Algarve, he's not been crashing or finishing out of points. He's just finishing, like... Like his last takeout today, obviously no points in Barcelona, six points for tenth place in in Austria, and it just they're kind of top tens really, and, and that's kind of it really. Does does nothing special. Whereas Acosta, you look at me, he's third, third, second, fourth, sixth, kind of roughly like so. Acosta's just been on the podium, Arbelina's not on it, and week in week out, that's about ten points sway each time. So over six rounds, that's sixty points, and that's kind of where we're looking at now, where Arbelino's been consistently scoring points but he's not doing enough to be winning a championship and Acosta has that kind of Rossi about him where he doesn't need to be on pole if he's roughly towards the front he has enough about him to get to the front and somehow still win the race saw that today obviously got a great launch and just never looked back um, I wouldn't say Acosta by any means is a one lap kind of hot lap hero kind yeah, of guy he seems that. very much a, a Sunday man and uh, figures it out on Sunday and I think even in his Moro 3 campaign he was never much of a I don't think he took that many poles compared to his wins, but... I think he only had yeah, been, He was quite poor in the qualifying. It was a bit of a thing. Yeah, sure. He dominated the races anyway, so doesn't need to. So maybe something he might want to look into improving when he gets to GP, but it's all but set that he will move up, and it's looking like he'll be on a factory bike in Gascas. Now, again, this season, I think every podcast should go back and listen to what we're kind of saying is the current rumour, and it just changes from week to week. From, from Thursday of this week to Sunday... There's been so much in just in terms of Marquez. We'll get cover that later. But there's just been such a massive sway from done deals being completely done to oh well they just they can't really find a way of getting that to happen. So there's just so many different rumors each week and throughout the week we're hearing so many different things and it's it's been one of the most interesting seasons I can remember throughout World Superbikes and GP where we've had so many different rumors riders going elsewhere, teams pulling out and just all sorts of contracts up in the air. So. Acosta will somehow be on the GP grid next year. I don't think there's any question there. Um, and yeah, he's probably one hand on the championship. We have the eight rounds left. Yeah, Realistically, if he so. doesn't have a, if he doesn't have a shocking flyaway, kind of nothing. The only thing is Acosta probably isn't the, isn't the top guy in the wet. Arbelino definitely will come back in the wet. So if we do get rain in Indonesia and Thailand, for example. The thirty odd points could drop to ten quite quickly, and then going into the last three rounds, if there's within a race distance between them, anything can happen because the pressure of a championship closing in is always always makes cracks and riders that seem invincible. So, if he just has a steady time through the through the flyaways, it's probably his championship. Really, he just needs to keep going. He's only had the, the one blip really, which was the Le Mans race, and uh, yeah, he's been. He's been excellent again. Kind of running each week, we say he's excellent. We're running out of things to say about him. He'll he'll be a special talent when he gets the GP. So 
Yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season because I just can't wait to see him in GP next year. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to seeing that one. I think uh, there'll be some eyes glued to the screen on that uh, pre-season testing. I don't know if they have one at Valencia. I think they have one at Valencia, right, this year? I know I know they stopped doing but then they seemed do. to start. Yeah, because they always used to, and then they, they kind of stopped it for a year, and then I think they have... Just for COVID? Yeah, maybe. But either way, there's mm. going to be eyes glued to the screen when he gets his first test, which will probably be before the end of the season. <laughs> they uh, they do like to... So. Yeah. I mean, maybe he might have a go tomorrow, actually, thinking about it. I know they've that done wouldn't that be a bad shot, actually. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure they did that for Remy and Raul when they were in Moto 2. So. The only thing I might think of is that the fact he's like on. We've seen what happened to Toprak when he went on the M1, went back to the R1, and he just said it felt weird for him for a while. Mm, so maybe they're thinking he's not that. He's he's not 100 points clear. He's only 30 odds. So maybe they're thinking get your Moto 2 title done, son. And then we'll 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 get you on the GP bike. So maybe they might wait till after the season just to yeah, not to throw any spanners at him. But, uh, but either way, I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to that one. And yeah, you, you run out of words to describe the guy. We know how talented he is, and we know just how good he's going to be when he gets to my GP and how good he's been this season. So yeah, there's not exactly a lot else that we can say. Now throughout, we've kind of alluded to the amount of uh, issues that Vietti had during the race, but he wasn't the only one. Lots and lots of moments throughout that Moto2 race. Obviously, Vietti probably does bring up most of them, but we had quite a few crashes as well. Other little moments, we had quite a few guys seem to lose the front end on the sort of change of direction between sort of turns one and two. Sam Lowe's was caught out with that one. Down he went. So it looked like it was a tricky race. I think it looked like it was quite hot. And I think just sometimes when it gets a bit like that, a bit greasy... Just so easy to lose the front. And I think the track is quite ripply in uh, a lot of places by the looks of it also. So, yeah, we saw a lot of front and rear end moments in that race. I do believe Alpatari's Formula 1 team used it as a bit of a test track, so that might support the ripples. Yeah, they do seen... some stuff there, I believe. I, d- I know they do some promotional kind of PR. I know that, yeah, I know they always do their filming days either there or Imola every year because they're like literally like from Fienza, which is very close. But Yeah, so... Again, there are probably all their shakedown tests and stuff for that track. So, even one or two Formula One cars, the modern day ones going around the track, will will create these little ripples there. That powerful of a of a car. So, it's just one of those. It's the whole aspect of Mizano. If you look at turn one to turn five, it's heavy braking, tight corner, heavy braking, tight corner, slight but downhill edge of the tire. You're just you're on the edge of the tire, really low speed, which is more stress on a ride on a bike than we'll say going through some of the fast stuff because the bike is more loaded your center of gravity is different and you're just your whole overall motion is pushing through the corner when you're in first gear at 30 miles an hour and a hairpin at Mizano, it's just a bit more more stress on the and the bike can make a make a little jolt or whatever can happen we saw that today where going shoot on one one of the slower parts of the track where you're just changing direction for turn two we saw sam lose it on the change direction we saw Alonso Lopez go wide as he picked it up as the front started bobbling. We saw Vietti have the slide in turn one. Aldeguer. For me and Aldeguer crashed yeah. down in two. Um, where I think Vietti ran deep a couple of times into Rio, turn four. So just a lot of the first half of the lap is quite stop-start. And it just was just showing that maybe track temperatures a little higher than they've had all weekend. I think today was definitely the hottest day of the weekend. And I think... Um, the fact that they don't get the warm which i'm still not a fan of because it looks yeah, like maybe today dixon 
mightn't have had the best bike in terms of it wasn't put back together perfect now not put back together but you'd always like to run it in a session before you race it after a crash so you just wonder was everything perfect yeah because he, he wasn't very young with it, like didn't quite have his exactly just to get like a few laps in just to like it's just like little things isn't it i guess like maybe like little grooves in like the the brake lever like just from like your hand and stuff like just... yeah it's just does it's just i still don't understand why they can't find a couple of minutes there's a long day there yeah they could just do it slightly early in the day like just do yeah. it before MotoGP's warm-up because like MotoGP have the fan show after their warm-up but why don't they just why don't exactly just, I, I you could have like they're... half an hour before that like you could just there's nothing on track so i don't yeah yeah i i still think there's plenty of time i, I don't really get the the yeah. reason why there's no warm-up i think it's it's silly and dangerous i think most weeks just most weekends just someone who's crashed on their last lap in Q2 and bike's gone head over heels and you're thinking oh no I have to race that tomorrow without even seeing basically you have a sighting lap you go to the grid then you have your warm-up lap and then you're racing it's our in fairness a lot of people do two sighting laps to go through the pits like but rolling around on a fresh set of tires on your first lap of the day you're not going to be getting the bike into the window of no. seeing if things are broken or wrong you're not going to find out until two laps in where you go oh my god there's a slight slight bit of chatter and vibration come from the rear i wonder what that is and then you're just thinking oh no i've got a bad tire is there something wrong from the crash yesterday so i think we look at um uh dixon i think that was kind of what plagued him for the race he probably wasn't hunched comfortable on the bike that was crashed and not kind of pushed out again today it was just it was one of those races where plenty of crashes obviously foggia and zonta crashed together don't know how yeah, that happened we that didn't one. get any replay yeah. um Judging that they both crashed at the same time, same corner, I presume one went for the overtake to go the other. Yep. It was into Carroll. I haven't seen anything from either rider to elaborate on what happened. Um, thankfully, they both seemed to be okay. It was just, there was plenty of crashes throughout the race, and I think it was a, oh, it was a horrible typical motor. Guevara and um, uh, Tuvich, wasn't there as well? Yeah, that was, we didn't catch that until the race was over, but that yeah. was a scary crash. I'm not sure what Tuvich was doing, along. really. Um, just running the back of him. Yeah, I think a bit of brain fade at, at the last lap. Maybe he was probably thinking a couple of corners ahead and just kind of, just some. I don't know. I, it's hard to kind of think because he does just kind of get in a wrong position. Like and, kind of and it is a strange place, but then he just runs into the back of him. I don't really know what he's doing. Yeah, it was a, it was just a weird one. That was, I think, both of them escaped, but that was a, a real egg beater that crash. So it was just, overall today, was just one of those ones where track probably a little different to Saturday and probably Friday and they just saw one or two riders get cut out the amount of saves you caught on camera were brilliant just shows the level that they're at because they were they were really pushing and we, we did mention Vietti I think four saves I can remember he, he was just he was on his limits today yeah he was uh, he was good today it's uh, nice to see him back because obviously he uh, he had a pretty rough patch obviously won the race in uh, Austria it's kind of a, a bit kind of missing again in Catalonia. I think he ended up about 11th or 10th, so actually wasn't too bad, but he was missing most of the weekend. But yeah, it was uh, it's nice to see him back this weekend as well. But we may as well move on to MotoGP now. Of course, we've got the sprint and the main race to talk about, so there's always plenty of action. But a man who was sublime this weekend, Jorge Martin, a pole position, sprint win, main race win, Whilst his rivals are a bit injured, he's got to try and make the most of it. And he absolutely did a perfect weekend from Martin. I don't think I saw a single mistake from the guy all weekend. It's just phenomenal. And he's uh, brought our championship lead down by a decent amount this weekend. Yeah, new outright lap record too, which was um, 
It was ridiculous. He went so far under it. It was ridiculous when he crossed the line in qualifying. I was like, oh my God, that lap time is immense. So it was just one of those weekends. I think Jorge Martinez is kind of prone to these weekends where he'll get on the bike and when in the first laps in FP1, you go, all right, this fella's having a good weekend. And um, it was just one of those weekends. It's just everything clicked. He's now comfortably in second over Bezeki, and he took a good chunk of points out of Bagnaya. Now, whether he'll be able to do it with Bagnaya's fit, I don't know. But you can't say anything against his weekend this weekend. He was just perfect. Did everything right. Um, even an injured Bezeki and Bagnaya at home. Again, we talk about how much the VR46 group go there probably every second weekend. They know every inch of that track to beat them there. No matter how fit they are, is an immense, immense job. So, again, just hats off to him. And let's hope that he can continue it because it would be nice to get a title fight because basically the whole Barcelona weekend and then this weekend has brought the championship back on. Like, he's gained back 12, 26, 27 points for my match. So, Quite a that's lot, over yeah. a full race win. So, yeah, the, 16 the, the champ... In the, uh... The main race of of Catalonia alone, didn't he? So yeah, it was. So yeah. yeah, it's just if he can keep going, I think he has sensed that. Right, well, Peco crashed out of uh, Barcelona, took points off him there, beat him twice this weekend. If he can, I wouldn't put a past him being good again in the sprint races. He seems quite good over the short distance sprint races. He seems probably the longer races is where he struggles more. Um, I think Peko over a full race distance is nearly untouchable to be honest so I think today was a, it was a good result for Martin to get that many points over him and the fact Bezeki split the, split the two of them as well just took another four points off him or whatever so it's going to be tough to kind of go back against the factory team especially now that we've a weekend off for Peko you'd imagine he'll be fit-ish going to India and everyone's kind of back to normal and you'd imagine Bezeki's hand will be somewhat okay as well so then it is kind of a bit more of a normal running does not a does no one missing races and I think everyone then will be on a similar level in terms of fitness so again this weekend he was immense that lap record was sublime in Q2 that was just a dream dream to watch and then again sprint race untouchable was questionable in the full race I thought Peko held on to him for longer than I thought he would but then he got about a second and he just absolutely checked out and from there then he was Prime Lorenzo, no one was catching him, so in fairness, can't really say anything against this weekend, it was just perfect, and I hope to see him continue at decent form, because we need a good run in, in the championship. We certainly do, we do need a bit of a battle, we can't let Banyar have it all his own way and run away, so yeah, hopefully Martin can continue to take it with uh, to him, but yeah, I mean, Martin qualifying, he's always been pretty good at it, this year, he actually has struggled quite a bit with it, but he does have these sessions where he just pulls that half second on the whole field and you do just question how he's done it. But yeah, he really is a, a special talent and obviously he kind of did that in the sprint race, really. He just went immediately and pulled away. Did obviously learn from it in the main race. So I don't think it quite worked, but I think then he probably just circulated at a decent pace and then as he started to drop them a little bit, he then dropped the hammer and, and really went. So obviously it allowed him to pull away from Banyaya behind. But Banyaya... He did, he did have a very good weekend himself. I mean, front row, two third places after, let's be honest, when when we saw his legs get run over in Catalonia, I was thinking that he was going to be out for a few rounds at least. So the fact that he was, obviously, you know, he escaped uh, any breakages, but he clearly has obviously still picked up a lot of uh, bruising that's very, very sore. And 
very painful for him. And maybe there is a small break somewhere under there. We know there was potentially an old injury that they could see. Maybe there is something a little bit we don't know 100%, but it does seem like there wasn't any actual breaks. But even still, you could see from, I'll say from Friday morning, from Thursday, you could see how much pain he was in. Obviously, then on Friday, they were using the ride height device to let it lower him off the bike. After the race today, he couldn't even get off the bike himself. He had to, one of the mechanics had to sort of lift his leg over for him. He was just destroyed. He, he sat there for a good, like, two minutes before getting off the bike. And it clearly took it all out of him. And he did do a fantastic job because MotoGP is so competitive these days. If you're not quite on it, you're last. And he, he, did, he did do a fantastic job. And we've said this many times at previous weekends, even though, of course, he's lost championship points. On the podium in both races, good damage limitation and uh, very impressive considering the injuries he's carrying at the moment. Yeah, I, again, I can't say anything but superlatives for Bagna, really. Um, walking to the bike seemed okay. Getting off the bike was a lot harder. I saw him walking around the paddock after or the pit lane after warm-up and he seemed quite well. Now, you'd imagine if anyone's had any sort of injury in, in a bike or a car accident or anything, using the part of your body that's been injured, you're really easily fatigued. So you think, if you look at Marcus, he's a perfect example of how he limited his weekends. He'd kind of do what he could in FP1, get a good feeling and get an understanding. Do only a certain amount in FP2. Wouldn't go mad in FP3 Saturday morning. Would push as hard as he could in qualifying on a Saturday and then limit his lap times in morning warm-up as well. He's some race weekends last year, Marcus, when he wasn't fully fit, didn't even go to morning warm-up. He just didn't bother. He just saved himself for the race. And we just saw Peko this weekend. Now, obviously, he wasn't no broken bones or torn muscles or any ligament damage, but he seemed to get better as the race weekend went on, and he seemed quite well in terms of movability and just he was quite loose this morning after warm-up. So it was an interesting and like, dynamic because usually... What Sylvan Cantoli was saying is you get up morning warm-up, you wouldn't have any painkillers, any drugs in your system, so usually you'd feel pretty second-hand after even a 10-20 minute session there, and he said then you kind of drug yourself up for the race, and then when you get your half-race distance, you're kind of, well, I'm actually not feeling too bad, and it's kind of the, the mental psychology kind of trick on yourself, where you trick yourself into thinking that, oh, I feel quite well after feeling so bad after four laps in morning warm-up, so... The fact he seemed quite well after one walking around talking to Bezeki, it was, it was a good promising fact, but he said he was finished after half race distance, and in terms of his race, it was pretty obvious. Uh, Bezeki passed him, then Bezeki ran on a corner later, and then again, Bezeki passed him a couple of laps later, and at that point then, he did everything he could just to keep third, and to be honest, the fact that he managed to hold off a really, really quick Pedroza kind of said everything. He was just, he was just kind of, today he was... Prime Davizioso, he just goes, right, I can break here, you're not going to pass me, if you are, you're going to go wide, I don't need to be quick anywhere else, I'll break late where I don't need to be passed, or where it could be passed, and that's what he did, he just, he rode the bike like Davi in 2017 and 18, and just made sure, I'm not going to get beaten here, Pedro's going to have to come up with something special if he's going to take this podium, and even at that, even if he did finish fourth, it wouldn't have been the end of the world, I think, was there three points for difference, three or four, I think? I think so, so. I think it's like 12 for fourth, so I think it's like four. Yeah, so... Again, it would, even if Peko did lose the podium, it wouldn't have been a disaster. I think if someone offered him fourth before the race, he probably would have taken it. But the fact, two podiums, a good qualifying session, there's nothing else you could ask for after such a horrible crash in Catalonia, really. It was just, it was almost as impressive as Martin in terms of just how he managed his whole race weekend. 
yeah, I would say so. I think he wasn't getting any more out of that, and I think great damage limitation considering also the uh, the injuries he is carrying. Uh, I didn't actually see him after warm up, but uh, that is quite interesting that uh, he was walking around quite well because, like you say, usually you have your painkillers. You have the most painkillers on the Sunday, and you have them right before the race. So, yeah, it was uh, interesting to hear that one. But of course, you did mention there that during the race. In fact, both races, the sprint and the main race, Banyaya had to defend from Danny Pedrosa. Of course, one of the best riders I've ever seen in MotoGP. And when he's made his wildcard appearances, it's always been fantastic. Uh, the one he made, was it 21? Wasn't actually amazing in uh, Austria. Didn't end up too good for him because he ended up crashing, didn't he? And the bike got hit and it blew up. But his pace was not too bad there. But this season, the two wildcards he's had, he's been unbelievable he was so fast in Jerez kind of the races didn't go his way he kind of got a bit beat up and clearly he learnt from that in the uh in these races because he was so fast all weekend from Friday qualified really really well fifth place on the grid that's fantastic again for a rider that was saying he's been retired since 2018 it's it's ridiculous I know of course he had a test at the circuit before and of course he does test with the KTM a lot but there is just not being race fit like those guys. Like I don't mean his actual fitness, but I mean the actual race sharpness and knowing the weekend and having your structure to it. It's such a, a massive thing. So the fact that he can walk into GP these days with how competitive it is, puts it fifth place on the grid, two fourth places, could have been a podium in both those races. I was willing him on for a podium because what a story that would have been. But even still, he should be proud because... He destroyed the rest of the KTMs. All right, Binder was probably quicker than him in the sprint, but just kind of caught up to him too late. And I think you could tell, obviously, he wanted to be respectful with, with Pedrosa, with him being a teammate. And obviously, in the main race, he was ahead of Pedrosa until he fell off. But Miller, Augusto Fernandez, Polis Bagra, he was miles clear of those guys this weekend. And in qualifying, he's clear of all of them, even Binder. So Pedrosa, I know, of course, he has some slightly different parts on his bike, but just he just showed how good he was and it's such a shame that he retired when he did obviously just got beat up so much by the honda the development had gone way away from him i really would have loved to have seen him on a patronus yamaha but of course that wouldn't have given us fabio quattararo so yeah, these things they work out for a reason but it's it's so good to see danny back every time and his performance was just amazing he's just he's still such a talented rider I, i'm still devastated for him that he never won a world championship because he definitely deserved it. He really, really did. I think his talent was in the wrong era because I feel like the late 2000s when he had Rossi, Stoner and Lorenzo, I think he would have always had a tough chance of winning against them and it would have been a weird season, kind of like 2012 where Lorenzo wasn't the outright quickest, Stoner was, but Stoner gets injured and then Danny has a good run of form but then, unfortunately, this track, it kind of Hector Barber wipes him out and yeah. He has an issue on the grid that day and gets pushed to the back of the grid and that kind of was a championship and then it was just a, a little shame really and then through the Marcus years you just think Marcus has him and in the end he did really and it was just a shame that you think if you put Danny Pedros on the grid in 2020 I would have tipped him for the championship on a, on a KTM yeah it's just he suits that bike so well his riding style I've always been it's a fan of he Danny's it. riding <laughs> 
his writing style I've always been a fan because just the way he's it's just so good isn't it so smooth it's such a modern style even though he raced 15 years ago just right yeah 2000 when he came up in 2006 so almost 20 years ago just right just the way he's so far forward on the bike and he's so small and he gets the bike up onto the fat part of the tire I really miss watching him um, a lot of the modern riders aren't as like you look at some riders you go with Jorge Martin amazing the way he hangs off it, but a lot of riders just don't have anything special about their riding style. I think Danny was one of those ones where he just was so good on the bike. You could watch him all day. And again, any glimpse we got him today, he just looks so good on that bike. And it's a shame he's retired because I'd love to see him full-time back on a KTM. Now, at the age of 37, I think that window's probably gone. And maybe if, we, if KTM if KTM were where they were now back when he was like 34, you might think he'd take a chance at it. But I think he's retired long enough that he's probably just happy with these one-off races where he can still show that he's still got it but they've already got too many riders they don't need another one <laughs> that's exactly it like i know ktm could have their own they could have their own gp red bull rookies yeah. where it's just yeah the like ktm bikes they have so many riders in in reserve like so it's a shame really the way his career ended because he was 32 when he retired which is no age really in the championship to be honest if you look at what valentino did yeah. Davi, Cal, they went a lot longer. Lorenzo was kind of so, the same. Both of those two retired. Like, in fact, again, really, the three of the four of them, like Stoner, Lorenzo, and Pedrosa, are all retired too young, really. Yeah, realistically, it was, it was just, they all retired as well, probably within like, in terms of age, about a year of each other, because they were all about thirty to thirty-two. I think Lorenzo was thirty-two, Pedrosa was thirty-two. I think Stoner just hit thirty in in Phillip Island before he retired, which was probably about a month before the end yeah. of the season. So. It was just um Oh no, I think actually never mind, I think I'm getting patrols. I think Stoner was only twenty nine. Yeah, I was gonna say Stoner was quite young because it would his, he must have been a similar age because they all came through together, the three of them really. Stoner's yeah. championship winning year was twenty eleven. On his birthday he won in his home race he turned twenty seven, so he would have been twenty eight, twenty nine yeah, retired. So, so slightly younger like but But even still late twenties, early thirties ballpark, yeah, exactly. So does not enough time for me for or Peko or poor Pedroza, I could watch him. I really wish he came back. No, I know I'm not going to get it, but he's just uh, oh, no. he's so good. Now, it does raise one question, right? And I haven't asked this, and I didn't put it into the notes because I wanted to just kind of spring it on you. Do you reckon the Pedroza Rossi era, the riders were better than they are now? A lot of people have been posing that question because he's come back onto a competitive bike, of course, but he's done so well against the field. People are thinking, are these guys from 10 years ago that much better? Or do you reckon it's all nonsense? I It's, it's difficult because it's been talked about quite a bit this weekend, hasn't it? And the TNT commentators were talking about it and they were saying, no, they don't think so. But because they're like, it just shows how good the Pedrosa is. But then that point doesn't really make any sense because like, if you're saying that it's just showing how good Pedrosa is, but then that's the point. It's like how good Rossi, Lorenzo, Pedrosa, Stoner were. Now, I would say, I'd say on average... The riders are much better now than they were back then. You used to get riders that weren't that great, especially on these sort of back teams where they were paying to be there. I mean, you know, you go maybe not so much in the late 2010, the 2000s, but definitely if you go a bit further back, there certainly was some riders that definitely out of their depth in MotoGP um, that were sort of there because they paid to be there. So I think... On, on an average, all the riders are very good these days. If you put them into 
that era on a decent package, they are the rider that's miles clear of the satellite bikes, but still decent bit behind the Rossi Lorenzo riders. Like they're probably finished. They're they're like your they're like your Bautista of the day almost, right? Like occasionally gets a podium, does pretty well most of the times, top five. You know, it's always in the sort of top ten. I mean, you were pretty much guaranteed that if you're on a factory bar by then, but. You know what I mean? It was it, that's how I kind of gauge the riders. I, I'd say the riders these days are much better on average, but I don't think any of the riders on the grid, obviously aside Marquez, are really that level. Quattararo, I would say, I, I don't know because he has pulled some stunning performances out on the Yamaha. But then you look at what Marquez does; he's probably a bit higher up than Quattararo most weekends, and his bike is probably. Well, actually, I don't know if his bike is worse. I think you can get more out of the Honda if you can get more out of it, if that makes any sense. Like, the Honda the Honda peak lap time is much better than the Yamaha peak lap time. It's just harder to get to. I think that's maybe maybe the problem with Quattararo. But, yeah, I, I would say that, like, the, those four guys probably are better. But then the reason why they were, like, the aliens was because they're, like, the best riders we've ever seen. So I don't think, again, it's a, a slight necessarily on... The other riders, I don't, I, there's not a dominant force at the moment to kind of put put a label on it so much. I mean, I think, I know I'm going on a little bit here, so I do apologise. But I, I think if you, we talk about Marquez a lot, right? We're saying if he's on a better bike. I think we're pretty much all in agreement. If he was on the same bike as Banyaya, he wouldn't be in the same postcode as Banyaya. He would be winning every race. So I think it does show that the riders are not as good as like, the alien standout riders, but then that's not to say that the riders were better back then because I don't think they were, aside from the exceptions. So basically, to sum up my point, as an average, I think the riders are better these days, but the peak riders that we have now are not as good as the peak riders we had then just by chance, not because of uh, an era thing. It's just the fact that we had Rossi, who was amazing, Stoner, who was amazing. Pedroso was amazing. Lorenzo was amazing. Marquez sort of was at the tail end. I know he missed Stoner, but we had quite a lot of races that were sort of Rossi, Lorenzo, Marquez, Pedrosa kind of battles. So, yeah, I think those riders were just, are just the next level. And I think we're going to see people like Acosta be like that. I think Acosta has the potential to be as good as somebody like Marquez, like Rossi, like, like Lorenzo. And it just takes that long to come through. I think the problem is just because they all disappeared at once, it makes it feel as if there's not been anybody for a while. That's probably why. So, yeah, um, that's pretty... I'll, I'll put that same question to you, actually, but uh, to try and not go on for too much longer, that's my... I know, yeah. Um, I should, probably should have thought of my answer when I was listening to you. <laughs> it's, it's quite hard to answer because... If you go back to 2009... Exactly. Does so many different things. The current bikes, the current, the current grid from Factory Ducati to Satellite Aprilia, we'll say, they're the closest they've ever been. 100%. So the equipment is closer. If you went back to 2008, what Valentino's on compared to who? Well, Valentino was on Com- compared to what Colin Edwards was on, even. And they were both Yamaha. Yeah, exactly. In the same team or in the same in manufacturer. Like, the difference between Factory and Satellite back then was noticeable like if you put Rossi on Edward's bike and then switch around there would have been a big chunk of time it wouldn't have been like Rossi still would have walked it it would have made a big difference because of how much like 10-15 years ago 
you started a bike or started the season with a bike and by the end of the season the factory bike was completely different and you got the odd swing arm and the odd here and there a few little bits of sprinkles of this and that Whereas, if you were like amazing if you were like factory yeah, ex- contracted if, you, like, if you'd like yeah, exactly. somehow won a wet race or like put on the podium when like stoner had fell off or something like you we, like you need to remember as well 2008 we, the whole world was in a kind of a world crisis in terms of recession so yeah, manufacturers weren't just throwing everyone a brand new swing arm every week in case it didn't work they were giving Rossi everything um, Lorenzo was getting almost as much as Rossi Edwards was getting whatever Lorenzo didn't want and the kind of saying goes for all the other manufacturers totally that, just said here's your bike <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> we'll put your number on this bike you yeah. can ride it whenever we think you're ready um, but yeah, so the equipment straight away is much more competitive. So that's why we don't have a Rossi winning by 32 seconds at a Mugello or whatever, just an example of a standout rider winning by a massive margin. Um, even if you go back, right, watch 2015 Valencia. Look at Rossi's bike, what he does to every other bike around him off the line. It just was a clear disadvantage. And that was that was not even 10 years ago. And if you went back 10 years before that to kind of 2005-ish, Jeez, the factory bikes versus the satellite yeah. back then they were they were a different class altogether. Like they they did no intention of being on track together. So like twenty fifteen isn't a million years ago. Like that's it was still the last year before all these concession things. So I guess exactly. it's probably so, the best year you could pick for that, actually, to be fair. So you could just see the power of his bike compared to all the other potentially equal bikes around him. He was made up six, seven positions into turn one and Valencia doesn't have a long, it's not like a Mugello where you could power it down. So it was clear that just back then they had so much better electronics. They had all the elect or the um, engineers. So just the better teams were just better in every aspect. Whereas now everything is so much closer. So the rider doesn't make as much as a difference in the screen as we think. The top riders still get the last one percent the peco still gets more out of it than bezecchi martin alex marquez and luca he is still making that difference now if we put him back into valentino's era maybe he's winning each rake by 15 seconds and we're going oh my god this guy's as good as stoner i think on the counter argument i still think rossi stoner marquez lorenzo are all better than peco is and brad binder i'm a huge brad binder fan as well i bang on him every week every chance i get he is my current party favourite in the world, bar Johnny Ray. And obviously we still have Marcus towards the latter part of his career and he has his injuries and everything going on. I think if you give Marcus some sort of equal equipment, he still wins races. Now, I still think he isn't going to be 2019 Marcus. I think he's going to be more of a 2015 Rossi where he might win five races a year and probably podiums, nearly everything else. I think he's really, really consistent and really close to the front. I don't think he... I think as a rider, he's just changed too much. The sport has changed too much that he can't really do. And I think even his talent, I still just don't think you can... He's There's not enough talent in anyone to ride around the issues with the front tyre that Michelin have, to ride in the pack. Every rider struggles with that. I don't think back then we had as much issues with all these stupid gizmos. So I just think the current sport is more tricky and it makes it so that not every week the same people can't outperform everyone by the distance. So again, I've rambled on probably as long as you have. So the answer is yes and no. I think the riders, the peak riders at the time are better. I just think the class currently is closer together, so it makes it look like when a, a star comes back, Pedro or Pedroza, he comes back and makes it. And again, he does come on to a track he's already tested on previously on a bike we know that is going well this season. So 
again, it's it's it. There's no answer to this. You cannot answer this yes or no. Like I said, I still think the likes of Stoner, Lorenzo, Marquez, and Rossi and Pedroza, them five, are better than the top five in the championship currently. Like, like Alicia Spargo is no match for or Lorenzo, or Rossi, or Marquez, or Stoner. Yeah, he's, he's just not on that level. Race those guys like. Exactly, we've seen like what a Valentino in his mid thirties did to Alish, and now Alish is top three rider in the championship, top four maybe. Um, we've seen Marquez destroy Vinales for years. Uh, Rossi again towards the end of his career was equal to Vinales on equal equipment. So I think again, there just the previous generation was a golden generation, and I think we're probably going to get another couple of years of the current field, and then we'll have David Alonso, we'll have. Pedro Costa, just just maybe Jose Reda, just just a lot of riders coming through at the moment. You just want to know which ones are going to make it because there was plenty of riders coming through when Storna came through and Valentino came through and when Lorenzo they didn't all make it. The likes of Pedro's and Davi still made it to the top, but there was plenty of riders around his level that never really kicked on to be what they ended out to be in terms of their rivals. So there's always going to be the question of is Valentino better than McDoon? Is McDoon better than Kevin Schwantz? is yes go back and back and back and back and back you can just go back all these areas there's always going to be the argument of like Halewood versus Marcus who's better Agostini versus Rossi it's hard to take different generations and put them against each other so yeah, I think it's difficult I still think the riders are as I've said it like six times already I still, the riders are better at the classic law so that's going to end at that point <laughs> yeah I th- we're both firmly sitting on the fence there <laughs> but yeah I think I think we've both kind of got a similar opinion that the riders are better on average than they were before, but the top, top riders are perhaps not as good. But um, it is difficult to say, because I think you're right. It's it's, such te- it's so technical now that you make a put with the gizmos. Like, if you were in 2015, Marquez can push the front. He can stop the front from crashing himself, so he can therefore just brake later and carry more speed than Pedrosa could, or, you know, like somebody else on the same bike, like the Calcrutchlow on the satellite Honda, for example. Um just because he was a better rider, he could do that. Whereas now, the front tyre is basically full of pressure and about to explode. You can't force that, but you can't force that any further because the tyres won't let you. So, yeah, I think there is that element of it that the technical kind of holds them back almost, I think. Yeah, uh, just one have. point before we move on as well. I think the current bikes are easier to ride than they've ever been with the ride height devices and the, the aero, I think. The fact that they're going so much quicker and they're kind of going above the tires kind of level i think i'm not saying they're easy i'm not saying i could jump on and match marcus on the honda at the moment but <laughs> in 2013 to 20 say 19 marcus was making the difference it wasn't the honda was better than yamaha or the ducati was worse than whatever there was differences in each bike they had their strength or weakness but marcus was the one that was able to extract one percent more to pedroza in that corner or was able to do something that Pedroza couldn't match week in, week out, and that's what him won him as all his championships. It wasn't the Honda had an amazing this and that and whatever. And I think currently we're seeing Peko making use of all of Ducati's toys on that bike. I think we're seeing Marquez, who we all agree, I think there's nobody out there that thinks Marquez isn't as good as Peko, if not better. So we're just seeing I think even Peko a bit of an F. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I anyone has agreed. I think he has like, before. So it's... Yeah, I think there was like. There was an interview, or not an interview, but Neil Hodgson was saying he was sitting down with, um, was it Lowe's in January? And he said to both of them, right, so who's the best rider in the world? And they both said, should I mark Marcus? Like, without hesitation. 
everybody knows what he's done. We've seen what he did when he came back to start season taking pole on that Honda. Um, Honda. We still know like there's just glimpses of just what he is. We're just not seeing enough of it because of Honda, obviously, the crashes throughout the season, bad injuries. So he's just not willing to show us them moments because there's just too much risk behind him. So He was very good today as well, actually. Very, very Exactly. Good. Got a great result out of a package that didn't deserve. And I think he's slowly changing into less high in, high peaks and low downs into the point where he's like, again, I, I probably shouldn't compare a market to Rossi, but he's kind of like the 2014-15 Rossi where he's like, the limit is there. I'm about half a step back. This is the most I can get out of the bike today. That's what I'll take. And I, I think P7, 6. Let me look. Um, I have to scroll all the way down to the end of the championship. He might have been 8th. He finished. It was 3 points. So that would be, I don't know, 9 points. So yeah, about 8, eight, eight or 9 today for it. So yeah. again, solid top 10. And like, look what the rest of the Hondas are. Mirror crashed again. So it's just well, and rounding up. And uh, the elephant in the room. One of the Hondas didn't qualify this weekend. Yeah, that is a that is a, a, a that's for Honda. That's disgraceful yeah. because the Japanese riders showing up at Mizano's. It's not a. I new think track. that shows it's why their a... bike's bad. If if your rider can't get within, the, yeah, the, like the the time like the time to qualify, then you're not going to be the testing is pointless. It's not relevant information. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, like, like surely the... you barely activating the tires like that. Hundred percent. Like if you're if you're not in within 1.5 seconds at the top times yeah. you're not doing enough to be knowing what the bike will feel like what Marcus is doing and what Rins was doing at the start of the season so again if if he, if he can't get any more out of it and like you'd imagine you'd surely he if he could have done the lap time he would have because he needs to progress you only need to weekend. do one lap over the whole weekend like you only exactly. have to do it with so, one of the practice sessions so if it was there even with a toe he'd, he'd got it it just wasn't there it, yeah, it just shows how maybe they're, they're on test riders. Just a bit of bit of everything with Honda. Yeah. We've heard I mean, like, even we had riders like Watanabe with the Sheik Masano last year step in for Mir. He managed to qualify. He got lapped, but he managed to qualify. Yeah. And Ponson. Ponson's remembered. Again, again Masano. Why is it always Masano? I don't know, but <laughs> that they get these random people in. Yeah. But again, he qualified. So, And, and that was back in the day when the, the equipment wasn't so... Like, he, he was on... Like a three-year-old decay, so yeah. Just... Yeah, it just shows that current Honda are missing. They're behind every aspect. Yeah, every corner of the operation is. It's not just the bike. Isn't as sharp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we've probably spent plenty of time on that one. I think it's good to talk about that kind of stuff. And again, maybe that's a topic for another podcast, talking about some of the classic stuff and the way things yeah. are going, and you know, comparing riders maybe because. We know uh, people get quite passionate about that, so maybe that's something we could do at some point. But we'll uh, we'll return to this weekend and uh, Jack Miller, a rider who had another awful weekend and a weekend in which we had some strange rumours uh, going into the weekend that he'd been offered double his salary for ten wild cards and a test ride uh, rider role for next year. Uh, apparently, that to, it seems that that's a false rumour according to Jack. Although I suppose it would be one of those things that you would deny anyway. Um, but he his performance this weekend certainly didn't help him uh, keep his ride because it does seem like now that perhaps they're trying to push Acosta towards the factory team because they've already kind of promised Paul and Augusto that they're going to keep their rides. So, yeah, it does. It seems like maybe Miller all of a sudden is kind of under threat and the way he's performing, it's kind of given them a reason to get rid of him also. The issue with Miller, right, and it's his 
issue at the moment is himself. I'll explain in a second. At the end of last year, he wins in Japan. We knew at that point he's going to KTM and everyone's thinking, oh great, Jack's won his last race. Now, that still might be his last race win. But when we when he announced he was leaving Ducati, Ducati were disappointed because they, they really enjoyed him and they loved him and the great relationship and he was good to them and they were good to him. But we all thought, oh, he's going to be pretty average on the KTM. If, like, top 12 rider probably on the KTM. He'd be definitely second best to, to Brad week in, week out. Testing looked the same. Um, kind of followed everything we thought. Gets to the first round. They've found something towards the end. KTM love Jack. They have done since he rode for him in Moto3 back in 14. Uh, 14, 15, yeah, 14? 14, yeah. 14. Yeah, I so, think one. Exactly. So they've always had a great relationship. They came in from when he was with, was with Pramac, but I think he ended up going to the factory Ducati team. They basically wanted him on their KTM for a couple of years, and yeah, they've always wanted to get him back. So when he went to KTM, it wasn't a big surprise. But then he's developed a bike in a way that taken some of the Ducati knowledge, brought it over. This year, KTM have been the most competitive they've ever been. Obviously, they've won races in in twenty and and, and other races. Throughout, I think they won in, didn't win nineteen. They won twenty twenty one, and uh, yeah, they've won races for the last few years. Uh, they were they won a couple in twenty. They Oliveira won a few, um, didn't he in twenty one and twenty two? But yeah. yeah, so they've they've always had the high points of season. But this year definitely has been the most where they've been more. They're there full. week in week out now. Whereas exactly, they'd have yeah. the odd race where they'd win and there'd be nowhere. So I think some of that is down to Jack. Obviously, the whole Red Bull money and the fact they're using some of Red Bull Racing's aero department. Just definitely, we're seeing results of that this year. But then Jack had a great start to the season. I got back to Jack after a few minutes, but he just had such a good start to the season. He seemed really good on the bike. He seemed confident. Everything was going his way until about Le Mans. Hareth, amazing. Battled for podium support races. was really quick. Uh, that's back when they had a massive advantage off the launch and they were just getting one two straight away and it just looked like he was going to be a good top five man for the championship currently he is sitting in the championship p10 um pretty poor really overall considering where the way the start of a season was for example he's 19 points ahead of fabio quadraro and quadraro's season that, has that been says it all right a absolute abysmal like I'm quite impressed with Fabio Quattararo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's just and again, right, so back to the middle point that he's had such a good start season. We get to Le Mans, he crashes in does he crash out of boat? He crashed in the sprint and then I think he crashed. He definitely later crashed in, in the, the main race because he dropped back and got passed by like Augusto even although Augusto finished fourth in the but he got passed by every KTM and then fell off. Aside from Fogel, I, I guess. But I have a feeling and let me look at the yeah, Le Mans, he didn't score a single point, so I'm going to guess he crashed on both. He definitely crashed in the main sprint. race, so if he crashed in the sprint, then he crashed in both. I feel like he... Yeah, in this... Where did he crash in the main race? The museum? Because he crashed in the sprint there. I, I think believe. he crashed at the chicane. Well, so I reckon... Yeah... Blue, no, I'm I thinking... Think. I, yeah, I think so. Anyway... He, Either way, he dropped back and then Le crashed in the main race, definitely. So, yeah. So, yeah, we, we're probably bored in agreement that... Um, Either way, he scored he no points, whether he fell out of the points or fell off. It <laughs> exactly. makes, it's no yeah. different at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Zero points. A, no, a no score at Le Mans on a KTM isn't good enough regardless. Yeah. And just looking at his results since, he's been 
quick in occasion. He's done the odd qualifying lap. He's always been a rider that can hold, not hold his breath, but he's been very good over one lap. He's had that in every class, and that's always been his strong point. We've always thought that he's a great man for putting a lap together. If it's mixed conditions, he's great. If it's a cold track and there's a few spots of rain, just he's great. Just style, just you're 100%, isn't it? Exactly. He just he can activate the tyres, but also like your his strength is also his biggest weakness when it comes to full 28 lap race he just doesn't seem to manage the tires throughout the race um at the moment it seems more of a setting issue because he keeps coming out saying that we're kind of going in circles with the setup he just doesn't feel comfortable with the bike at the moment that we're seeing like we talked about throughout the whole podcast if you're one percent off in gp you're just you're nowhere in regards to how good you are or how quick your bike is or anything he's just struggling slightly and that's just enough to be kind of nowhere. And again, he's outperformed everyone's expectations at the start of the season. And now we're thinking, why is Miller P4 every week like he was in, in Portimao and at the start of the season? So that's just kind of his issue. He's currently finishing, well, obviously this weekend didn't really get a finish, but he's currently finishing most race weekends where he probably would have been put by a lot of people at the end of last year. So I just feel with the Miller thing is he's slightly overperformed. Now we expect it from him and now we think we're underperforming where it's probably just... The current Ducatis, the newer Ducatis, probably have gotten themselves a bit. He did qualify eighteenth the... this week. I don't think we expect him to be that bad. Now that is a bit, a bit much because Mizano is a very high grip track, and usually if the grip is high, he can just pull the lap out of it. The fact that Pedrosa was in the top five, Brinder yeah. was in Q two. It's usually one of his better tracks as well. Like it was one of the tracks yeah. he could usually run with Banyar a little. It's so. um, it's just a mystery really why he's, he's kind of gone that far because. I, I never really expected him to be in a championship hunt. I didn't expect him to keep it up like Binder. I, I did expect as the season went on and that maybe the, the current bike got dialed in more that the gap would just go a touch between the two. But the fact he's that far off him now and uh, was taken out today by Piro, I believe a look from the incident that Piro yeah, ever passed like lost in front. Still not so, seen it though, so not actually no. Exactly. Because like, there's quite a few crashes there that we haven't really got um, footage back from. Which is great, actually. Yeah, same in superbikes as well. Yeah, like a lot of the incidents weren't. I think up. they should just have onboard cameras for every bike. I don't really know why they don't. I think they do. I just don't think they have it set up so that life you can get it as uh, easily. They, as they don't always have them because I think sometimes you have like a weight in the place of, the, of them. Then they only have certain men, so many that can broadcast. Like purely yeah. though, for for the race direction, you should have to have like the yeah. the. It's like Vinales the... didn't have any cameras at. Um, uh, Catalonia, you could see there wasn't a rear or front camera on the bike. Interesting. I think, yeah, it probably should be just kind of the, yeah. just the rules that everywhere there has a front and rear camera and that kind of cleans up everything because it's hard, it's hard when there's 25 bikes going past for one cameraman to pick up every incident. You can't keep an eye on all of them at the one time, like they are moving so quick. So, um, but yeah, just another poor weekend for Miller. Some of the flyaways, I reckon he'll bounce back. I think we'll probably get some weather. I am reckoning that some of the flyaways will be wet. So I'd imagine seeing him back there, and he's always been good. Remember back to Silverstone 15 in the West, where he took out Cal. Was that 15 or was that 14? It was 14. It was 15. Yeah, he was on the, the LCR 14, back then. A three. Yeah, yeah, again, I just realised I said that. He was, he was doing a double Damn, he did a good job to take out Crucial in the three. Uh, yeah, Although Crucial on that Ducati at some points, but it's well been a Yeah, three. exactly. Or boy. But yeah, he's always shown pace in the way. I think there's any any questionable thing going on over the weekend. Jack's lack of caring about tyres seems to bring him back towards the front. But then when you have an armor race weekend where the grip is high, everybody's dialed in on track. Jack does suffer. And I think this weekend was exceptionally bad for him. But I do expect to see him somewhat close to the front. 
Um, I'd imagine when we go to Phillip Island, he's going to have a good weekend. I think he showed pace there last year. He got on podium there in... Was it 19? Yeah, it was 19. Last year in the Pramac, I think. So, yeah, because he had the yeah. Because I think that was one of the yeah, high uh, It was like P4. It was strange. Well, yeah, was weird weekend. Yeah. But yeah, it was just a... Just a bit of a, a wayward moment to moment for Jack, I think. He's having, I think, Ruby's about to give birth at the moment, so I think he will be a father by the time he gets to the... Uh, yeah, he yeah, goes so, straight home from the race, I think. So, so you never know. Remember what happened to Crutchell after Willow's born? He started winning races, so... Maybe the same thing happens with Jack, you never know. Yep, potentially. So, that kind of is Miller's sort of saga at the moment. Obviously, uh, like we said, he's up in the air. Maybe he could potentially lose his ride. He's just kind of needs to try and get out of the rutties and I think we can definitely agree with that but we've got Mark Marquez as well another rider who is in an interesting situation at the moment obviously we've heard a lot of rumours lately um, obviously we had previously sort of been told that he was waiting till tomorrow where they have a test to test the new Honda see how good it is and then decide whether there's actually potential there to decide whether he's going to leave but then it sounded like going into this weekend that he basically signed for Christina Ducati and that it was basically just maybe the last little bits needed to be done before like basically it's ready to be announced. So it sounded like he was leaving. Then it was, oh, actually there's a lot of wranglings going on behind the scenes. Don't know if the deal's going to happen. Then there was a rumour that he was buying the team completely <laughs> and it's just going to have like Marquez racing with both the Marquez brothers. And then it seemed like Oh, maybe now Honda are trying to poach some good engineers to keep him. So we've, we've kind of gone through all of the stages of the saga this weekend. It's been very, very bizarre. Um, that's kind of the little summary of it. What do you think he's going to do? You, you also forgot to spell that at one point he was taking Red Bull and Repsol oh, and the Australian Glitch sponsor yes, that was part over of the, to Grissini. That was part of the, uh, the buying thing, yeah. That, it was... For in, I've never had a weekend where Friday was, I don't know if I can't it's, it's been such a long weekend where Mark now you can't even remember but uh, Dutch out sportless um, basically like it's a done deal he has signed he put out a video on Twitter probably on all his social medias on Friday of him saying things are happening in Spain and just in, in, in Spanish sorry and it's a video of him kind of like laughing and joking in the paddock um, and then followed the rumours that he was signed everything was done that he was going to Cresini it was done he was out of his Honda contract then the next morning it was like unlikely because it doesn't look like everything can work out it looked like there were some issues with contracts whether it was beyond Cresini Ducati or in Honda or just Marquez in general so then it looked like it was off then we apparently were hearing that he had bought the team which made no sense um, and then I could Repsol, see that happening like I've kind of thought for a while that I could see him get setting up his own team for like itself. That wouldn't be, yeah, it's probably not a bad shirt to the old ball GB career mode where you just bang Yeah, there you go. He's throwing like Mode GB 23 career mode yeah. in real life. Exactly, yeah. It'd be strange, but anyway. He just, and then Free Riders Academy is going to start up. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. And then, to be honest, when I heard that Estrella Glitzia and Repsol and Red Bull will be pulling out of hand and going with him. That's what I was like, I just don't see that. I think that's too much for it to happen. And then at this moment in time, currently, it looks like he's kind of committed to Honda because the rumour is now that they've gone to all the big teams and gone, how much I want you, Gigi Delinia, and everyone in all. Basically, from what we've been told is that 
Alberto Puige and Mark Marquez have gone to the big bosses at Honda and told them, we need to become more European. We need to go and sign all of... Basically, we need to sign the best engineers that we can get. And then maybe I'll stay because they're trying to repay the faith that he's kept in Honda for being on their bike for so long and all through the injury and stuff that he stuck with them and, and, and stuff like that. So that's the latest rumour as of half past eight Sunday night. When this podcast goes live Monday at about nine, he might be already signed for Grassini. All this might be irrelevant. We do apologise if it is, but we're going literally off of the current thing. So currently, it looks like he's somewhat committed to Honda. He's interested in trying the bike tomorrow and that they're trying to get as many non-Honda and probably more European um, engineers in just to eradicate the project. Alberto Pridge said today that there's Honda is changing radically for MotoGP is what we is kind of the headline to his, his interview. This is where he signs for KRT tomorrow. <laughs> In place of Johnny Ray, we're, we're all wrong. <laughs> that would be some surprise. That Spanish team, no? You never know. You yeah, never know. never know. Yeah, yeah. No. Monst- um, no, monster, monster energy. That won't happen. happen. I can't uh-huh. see that. Yeah, that, that's, that's the reason that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Repsol cows like he racing. And <laughs> what's it oh, like? Jesus. Yeah, um, so we're, we're not really sure what's going to happen because uh, it changed every five minutes, but we just thought it was worth covering uh, because it's the rumours just get more crazy. I, I love it. I, I can't wait till like, buy Valencia. It's like, actually, he's buying the whole championship so that he can add an extra team with KTMs. <laughs> yeah, he's passed uh, the Carmelo out of his... Yeah, he's bought Dorna. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite interesting, but uh, we'll, we'll go back to reality a little bit more now and uh, someone that we wanted to give a bit of a shout out to actually was Ralph Fernandez um, had a pretty good weekend uh, well it's his best weekend probably in MotoGP so far at uh, at Masano he was actually battling with Mark Marquez for most of the race so quite quite uh, sort of topical since we're talking about Mark Marquez but the the Aprilia has been pretty decent this season obviously they've been a bit hit and miss sometimes but you have seen some weekends where obviously you've had the two factory guys and especially last weekend where the two factory guys and Oliveira sort of right at the sharp end of the races. And we were kind of wondering where is Ralph Fernandez? Cause he's not really shown any of his motor two form, which was unbelievable back in that 2021 season where he almost won the championship as a rookie. Uh, his form in that season was unreal. And we've not seen that since he came to MotoGP. Obviously last season he had a horrible season with the KTM tech three, just like his teammate Remy Gardner did. I don't think things were right from the beginning because he didn't really want to go up to MotoGP. He kind of got forced to. So I think they got off on the wrong foot from the very start. He got hurt very early on in the test as well. And I think that just was sour grapes immediately. It was, it was never going to work. Obviously jumped onto Aprilia, was very happy and quite quick in testing, but then hasn't really shown much at all. But this weekend he was pretty good throughout practice sessions. I think he, he went directly through to qualifying two, if I'm not mistaken, which... Maybe it's not the first time he's done that, but it's definitely one of the first. I don't think it's something that's particularly First done. time he made it to Q2 end of. Really? Over the two years, yeah. Yep. That's how that started. Oh, just... okay. I thought he must have at least done it once, but earlier this season. But there you go then. So he made it to Q2 for the first time this season. Um, I don't know where he qualified. I'm not going to try. Oh, he did qualify 12th. Okay, well, even still. He made it into the session. That's uh, the improvement. And then he, what, he finished eighth today? Yeah, eight place, eight points for eight place. So. Yeah, so that's his uh, new best finish in MotoGP because I think his best finish was tenth up to that point. So some green shoots finally, and I'm happy to see it because he's been struggling. There has been some question marks over whether maybe he'd stay for next year. I think the team have been quite quick to say 
which basically treating him as a rookie this season because how bad his last season was, it basically didn't exist. So they're trying to say they're going to keep him. And I think, yeah, I guess fair enough. But it is also a very good bike. It's the kind of bike that people would want to get onto. The, the Aprilia is very good, especially, you know, your more corner speed kind of riders like Quattararo, for example, would probably do quite well on an Aprilia. He probably wants to get out of his Yamaha contract. So, yeah, there's been some question marks. But it seems like Raul is staying. And I think happy to see that he had a good weekend. Uh, and hopefully he can try and carry the momentum into the next one. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was looking at the results. He's scored four points by the time he got to Saxony, which was quite it was a shame really yeah, because it's, it's when it's, you've got two races the weekend as well. If you look at the championship, he is the last of everyone that has done any somewhat part of the season. When did you everyone behind he is yeah, Digintoni is actually doing quite well. He's forty three points, whereas he's nearly double he's the points of Raul Fernandez. Yeah. Um he had a good run through like the European runs where he's probably finishing 10-12 that we probably didn't yeah, know that's cause true. Yeah. he's a run here of 6-7-4-8-2-7 points so again they all add up whereas if you look at um, Fernandez's sheet it's blank 2 blank 1 blank blank yeah, 1 there's a lot of crashes actually just, just so many yeah. non-scores and he'd, he'd be fair right Fernandez has had his fair share of mechanical issues this year he did retire last week from a mechanical um, I just feel like Maybe the RNF team this year just haven't been on the ball 100%. No. Miguel Oliveira's had a tough season. Now, a lot of his has been bad luck, but yeah, he he's had issues out. with the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's been targeted. I just feel like just maybe the first year of RNF on the Aprilia, I think, has just overall just been a bit rocky. And I think it's the perfect thing for Raul Fernandez that they've treated him as a rookie because I'd imagine he's actually probably worse off than he would have been last year if he came onto this bike because. He had such a bad time last year. His confidence definitely wouldn't have been too high coming to Aprilia. Uh, had such a bad relationship with KTM. He didn't want to go up. Then if he wanted, or if he did end up leaving, he wanted to go to Yamaha. Uh, that didn't materialise. was forced onto the, the second tier KTM. Uh, injured himself in Thailand. And then they made him ride even though he was concussed. It was just a whole shit show of a situation for him. And he really just didn't get on well there. And... A lot of people felt like he downed tools throughout the season and just stopped performing, but to be fair, he was never a million miles off of Remy, who kind of was having a similar season, and um, he, he had a big falling out with the team. He did in the end, didn't he? I think, I think to be honest, it felt like Fernandez was like downing tools throughout the start of the season. As the season went on, he got better, whereas Remy just got worse as it started getting into arguments with man. In fact, with the um, which when it came to contracts and just the team, and they were saying he wasn't trying, and he was like go screw yourself I'm putting everything on the line here week in week out and you're accusing me of not trying and all this so it was the whole team last year was just a mess it was just it was it's it's been brilliant since they've switched to Gas Gas because they've been so good to Paul Spagaro with his injury Augusto was kind of pushed up he probably didn't really I know he's a Moto2 champ but he was by no means in a cost level of anticipation going into the class and he's done way better than anyone has expected uh, go back to his Le Mans race weekend. He was brilliant there, and he's shown pace many times this year. So, um, if he's on the grid next year, I'd be quite happy to see him there. I think he's proven he probably deserves to be there. Yeah, I think uh, today again, was pro- his first race finish outside the points. So, like in a full race, go, like as so, as a rookie, that's yeah, I, I think I saw more than that, so. Could be wrong. That's more than yeah. more than enough for a rookie, really. On a second tier KTM, now is he getting all the updates from KTM in terms of what Jack and Brad have been developing? And Danny, you just don't know exactly. It's it's always hard to tell what spec a bike a satellite team has, even though yeah, they currently... try and treat them. They they always say they treat them the same, but 
there's a limit to yeah, the amount of parts you can make. Yeah, exactly. so you can make one, it's not going to gas gas, is it? Exactly, exactly. So law, even if they treat them the same, they're still going to be delayed. There's still going to be yeah. delay getting the parts down the pipeline. But in fairness to going back to Raul, I've not been... He's had a rough season, but he's been a rookie on a different bike again this year. Again, it's a new team in terms of a new team with a new manufacturer. There's been teething issues. I expect to see a step from next year going into next season. And I really, I really applaud the RNF team for kind of treating him as, oh, he's had such... They knew themselves he had, he probably was a little broken as they came in. They took him under their wing and kind of rebuilt him as a rider. And this weekend he showed good pace and was ahead of Alesh for most of the weekend. Because I know he yeah. won in and Leach was the last earlier uh, today, so I think so. Yeah, no, he had a big crash on Saturday, but you'd still expect him to not be behind the fourth tier, fourth tier rider in the previous squad. So again, it just shows that there is steps being made. Now it's not always easy to see when they're probably down when they could be making steps from P eighteen to P sixteen. We still see it as zero points, but they're, they're building, and I, I just hope that he has a good end to the end into the season, and good pre-season and then we might see something special next year from him and makes a step again because it's a uh, he'll be going into third year again probably a second year with the team you'd imagine same bike same team for the first time in four years it'll be a good kind of continuation i think he might build upon i hope yeah because he was a mega talent in mother two in his rookie year and probably deserved the title but anyway that's done and dusted yeah hopefully he can try and build on this the rest of the season like you say maybe make that extra step into the next one so we've got one last thing that we did want to talk about before ending this podcast and it's actually sort of the situation with the indian grand prix so there's a week off now uh we've got the test at masano on monday but then the rest of that week is off and the week after they have got the ignore inaugural indian grand prix although i don't know if they did maybe have a race like back in like the 50s there or something but uh, like you know it's uh, the, the modern era of the first uh, yeah. indian grand prix and um, it's interesting because the track is not actually homologated yet. The Basically, they have to go around and view everything, make sure it's uh, all safe and stuff. And this has been the problem with the Kimi ring. Uh, that's why we never raced there. There was obviously other factors like the, the war that, that happened, which wasn't... Which was, well, it's like two countries away. So I don't really know why they used that as an excuse, but I think it was kind of a bit of a a cop-out to, to not go yeah, there, but the track was never homologated. Same thing has happened with Kazakhstan this year. Uh, but the Indian Grand Prix is a bit different because the track has existed for many years. It used to host Formula 1 racing back in the uh, early 2010s, so I think like 2011 to... It might have been... Yeah, it was 2011, I think, to like 2013, and they had three races there. Yeah, three races. Um, Vettel won them all. Yeah, Vettel won all of them. Uh, I think he went led like every lap of them as well, something like that. Some ridiculous, some weird start like Red that. Red dominance back then. Yeah, <laughs> not, things don't change much, do they? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so they had the F1 races there. So the track was up to an international standard um, at that point. Uh, they also had they have had some bike races there in the past, and they had the Asia race, road racing series there uh, one year. I think World Superbikes were they meant to go in like 2014 and they got cancelled or something like that. So yeah, it was it was meant to be a superbike track for one one or two seasons, but yeah. it, again. What happened is it's a lot to do with the government. They just haven't put the money into it, and the track has kind of gone, yeah. kind of gone. It, it kind of just disappeared from everywhere, really, and it's a shame because it's a great track. But there used to be taxes. Was probably... It was counted as entertainment rather than sport, wasn't it? Yeah, there was some really very... bad taxes on the track and things like that, and probably insurance and and stuff. But e- either way, the, the track actually exists. Um, but 
<laughs> obviously going from a car racing circuit and also like you say it's not had the money in so for a good 10 years not had the investment they needed to make some alterations don't even i don't think necessarily even to the track maybe uh, i think it was more outside of it so like safety barriers and runoff areas and things like that. i think the actual circuits pretty much saying the same but they haven't been actually checked to see if those have been done and whether they're complete so on thursday they're going with the riders so the thursday of the race weekend but bear in mind they're going to be doing free practice the next day is when they decide whether the track is safe which is a bit last minute very very last minute not something that's very usual and usually means when they're leaving it that late it, you, the race doesn't usually go ahead so it will be interesting. Hopefully, the track is up to scratch and we get the race because it'd be great to have a race in India. I think the track is quite good as well, actually, in fairness. So uh, I'd be really looking forward to seeing that. And because everyone's going to go there, it would be a real shame and a real waste if they all went there and didn't race. But I'll pass it over to you. What do you think about this whole situation? Because it's rather strange and I feel like this is something that should have been done ahead of time. And I do think the Indian Grand Prix was rumoured to be initially for next year but they sort of moved it forward so maybe if they made a mistake with that one it's it's just a, overall a really really odd situation because fair enough right you think right so okay fair enough they go thursday they go thursday morning and then they have the whole day to kind of get ready if the race is going ahead if they're happy with the grandstand one thing you didn't mention there was a lot of grandstands put in because over time it was just, it kind of just left to abandon so a lot of the grandstands weren't up to kind of a grade a track we'll say so a lot of oh, okay, a lot of work yeah. has gone in with that but what people don't realize is if we're going next weekend just for argument's sake aragon uh the team trucks will arrive on tuesday night wednesday morning and we'll start to un- unload everything built and by thursday pretty much the paddock will be ready to go so by the time we get there on thursday we being the paddock and they do their homologation and pass whether it's good or not Everyone will have to unload everything. Everything will be ready to go racing. So at that point, all the chefs, all the... Every truck will have unloaded. The bikes will be rebuilt. They'll be checked. There'll be everything going. All the tents will be up. All the garages will be built. There's so much work has to go ahead, right? Throughout the week before we even get the homologation to know if we're going to go racing. For me, I don't like that because... Well, there's more reason why I don't like it. But if by some reason we'll say the track doesn't pass and we're like yeah we've no race this weekend all that travel all that money wasted to go to a track and everything has to be torn back down it's a lot of work on people for no racing Um, personally i don't like it i think it's bad management from dorna the fact that we're going over thursday Um, it's very like 1980s we'll rock up on thursday we'll give her another look if she's good we'll race right modern day racing is too serious and too competitive and too it's just too much of a, a big sport for for that attitude to we'll rock up Thursday and see what the crack is with it. But it's just it's a bit silly to be going there because I was thinking, like, imagine imagine this was in Ireland. There'd be thousands, hundreds of thousands of people trying to get tickets throughout the year for it. Imagine you're sitting, Reese, thinking, Well, on Thursday I'll know if my hundred and eighty euro ticket for me and my family to go to Silverstone will even be valid. If the race gets cancelled, what happens with the with all the fans that have booked tickets. In no disrespect to India, it's not a it's not a Spain or a UK or the America where you'd expect that it would be quite easy to get the money back from the government or through the ticket sales. You wouldn't be surprised. We've heard in some of the Asian countries before that when things are a bit funky like this, money goes missing, people don't get their money back. It's just a bit of a mess. So the big thing for me is just the, the overall paddock having to be built on the fans. Um, 
I'm just hoping that the government have kind of put the money in to get everything up to spec for, for Dorna and that it'll all be something we won't even think about. On Sunday, of, in two weeks' time, we'll be having a great talk about how the, the races were great and it's great to finally have a GP in India when it's been so deserved for so long considering motorbikes in India are one of the prime transports and it's probably, I think, that and China are the biggest markets for motor, motorbike sales. So it's, it makes complete sense to go there for racing and it's big, big... um big fans and big kind of atmosphere there for it'd be great if we go ahead with it they've just left so much to the last minute i don't like it because there's so many people that could end up uh, out of pocket and it's it's just a bit messy and i think modern day i think once or twice a season you just see dorna see that they're still slightly small-minded you wouldn't see a liberty media going to vegas of a thursday and going yeah we'll probably race if it's okay that wouldn't happen in formula one and we I'm are... pretty sure Jeddah got homologated on Friday a couple of years ago. Hardly. Yeah. Well, I take it back, so far I'm equal. <laughs> I'm fairly certain. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Maybe it wasn't Friday. I could be wrong, but it was definitely like a similar situation where it was literally got homologated like right before the weekend. But I think it genuinely might have been on a Friday morning. That is... So, me, because again, Jeddah, India... It is a street circuit, so... Yeah, maybe like, it's just I, that part of the world kind of work in a different way to kind of Western Europe and this part of the world. Yeah, I suppose Jed is more Middle East, though. I guess. Yeah, so, maybe I don't know. India's, I mean, I suppose India is also sort of between the Middle East and Asia, I guess. But yeah, so it's just bottom line is just it's wrong to be going and leaving it that late and not knowing because like, like you think right, fair enough, right? There's twenty trucks of GP go. There's a model two, there's a model three. If you're a model three rider, right, and say you're we'll just who will we pick out a model three? Colin Vare. Do you think he's strapped or cash to be travelling around the world? Like if that race doesn't go ahead, like he's losing out of money. Now there's obviously so many other people, but he was just kind of a mid tier model three rider currently, and again, it's not against him, but just give an example of people it will be a massive loss if we don't race there because it would be not only be bad for the championship, we lose a round, it's bad for the surrounding areas, the government, the, the national kind of treasure of India not getting the race and stuff like that. It's just, it's so messy and I hate the fact we're doing it so late. And maybe, again, if you are right about Jeddah happening of a Friday, maybe that part of the world is slightly different to us. And maybe maybe it, it was a struggle against time to get this race. And like you mentioned, maybe it should have been for the 24 season and Dorans put pressure on them. They did have to build a street circuit, which is obviously... A bit more thingy with Jeddah. Like yeah. Got put so. together. Seems like it was the Thursday, from what I can say. Okay, fair enough. So again, you're, you proved me that maybe Liberty Media aren't as... Maybe it's not Dorna, so maybe it's the, the track. Maybe maybe I'm being too harsh on Dorna, but overall I feel like it's a... It's not a great situation. No, no, it's certainly not. It's not uh, the kind of thing that uh, that you want to see. But hopefully, like we say, if, if it all goes smoothly, it'll be, it'll be forgotten. But it, it's if it you know, ends up with a fast then like you say it's a lot of uh, a lot of money being wasted especially like you say for these uh, um, maybe not so much for the riders in fairness because most of the riders are paying for their seat anyway so I don't think like yeah, 20, I, like, I don't think like a hundred pound flight is particularly the least there worries it's more like the person the team personnel and uh, and stuff I would say that you know they're not exactly they're not going to be balling so maybe that's the uh, yeah, maybe they're going to lose out more, but 
and and fans potentially. You know, we obviously assume that most of the fans will be from India, but there'll probably be people coming from elsewhere, um, neighbouring countries and things like that to come and see the race. So yeah, like if you're like a an GP fan from like Pakistan, for example, I suppose it's like bordering uh, India, so you'd be going over to the Indian Grand Prix. So yeah, it's uh, it could be could be a messy situation, but hopefully everything goes to plan. And like you say, we'll be talking. Uh, this time in two weeks about how great that race was and how um, the circuit's amazing and, and stuff like that. But that pretty, I think that pretty much brings this episode of the MotoGP Extra podcast to a close. So if you are watching it on YouTube, please do like the video. It does help us out. And if you listen on Spotify, if you could rate us five stars again, that is very appreciated. We do, of course, have the comment section on YouTube or on, on here now. There is actually a comment section on Spotify, it seems. If you do want to leave us a comment, we will actually see it. We can actually... Uh, Go and have a look. So any feedback is appreciated or if there's any topics you want us to talk about because we have seen as well in some of the comments people have mentioned and we've tried to integrate them a little bit. But for now, that is the end of this episode and we'll see you in a couple of weeks for India, hopefully for a good podcast. <laughs>